Gooch is gonna get to cut promos on uh, on other people today too. All right, you guys ready to do this damn thing? Let's hop in, man. Uh, how, how you gonna do it? You're gonna do your open, then kick to me. Yep. And then then kick back. Then you just take it to introduce the Gooch. Introduce the Gooch. I feel like that. I need to get a headset. <laughs> I actually had a headset with a microphone with the same problem. I tried plugging it in here. You either had one or the other microphone or headphones. Yeah, there's a weird little uh, device you have to get with that splitter, and it's, yeah. it's it's the two male to the one female, and they're a fucking pain in the ass to find. Yeah. Like cut cold style. Yeah, they are a fucking pain in the ass. <laughs> oh, I think I found our B-roll. But I actually, I actually did homework today. I watched Raw, well, the Hulu version. I don't watch Raw or SmackDown when they actually go on. Hey, I, I always do the Hulu next day because I don't got cable. So I actually, uh, this episode of Raw, I found a YouTube stream of it where the entire thing ah. was it was in two X. So I was ah. watching the whole show on fast forward, and everybody sounded like chipmunks. The Sasha ah. Banks promo. <laughs> The Sasha Banks promo right before the Oscar match, if you listen to it on chipmunk speed, it's fucking fantastic. <laughs> oh, dude, listening to, like, the, the chipmunk version of Corey Graves. My God. Just fantastic stuff. Smoke a big fat one and then uh, listen to Raw on 2X speed. What's up, peeps, freaks, and geeks? Welcome to Season 2, Episode 5 of the history-making Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, powered by the historic TheGorillaPosition.com and presented by history-breaking Hami Media. On this history-making episode, we're breaking down all the news that is news from across the professional wrestling world. We're talking the historic Monday Night Raw, an unforgettable SmackDown Live, the build to the history-making Elimination Chamber, some historical significance in ROH, and a history lesson from the Grand Island that is Japan. But before we dive in, it's my obligation to tell you this is a historical podcast by the fans for the fans, bringing you all the news that is news from across the professional wrestling world. As always, you can find the show on Twitter at HTMPWPod, on Facebook at Hitting the Marks. Shoot us an email at hittingthemarks at gmail.com. My name is Jargo in the 319, they call me Daddy. I'm joined as always alongside the Bree Mode to my Nikki, RBV, Huckleberry number one. Rick, welcome back to your show. It's me, it's me, it's that R of the B to the V, Rick Vickery. Back at it again here on the Hitting Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast. And what a, a long weekend it was in an over-the-top Royal Rumble weekend. But it's time to turn the page, move on, and get geared up for the road to WrestleMania. And man, Jargo, I'm, I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna let you do the honors. But we are we are kicking off the road to WrestleMania here on our show. I can't think of a bigger way, my friend. 
Well, you know, I, I'm learning from the WWE that if you just say that it's historic or history making like 8 million times during the first 20 seconds of your show, that then people look at it as, wow, that was really history making. So our history maker, the one and the only, the Gooch, is joining us for this very historic episode of the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast. Gooch, welcome to your show. What's going on, guys? Let me tell you, first of all, it is an honor and a privilege to be sitting here breaking down this wonderful week, historic week of professional wrestling with you guys today. I mean, I'm honored, absolutely, positively honored. Gooch said well, this is going to be historic. He was kind of breaking up there, but you know, he said this is going to be historic. He, he let us know it's going to be historic. Now, Tim, before we jump into you know what we you know what actually transpired on Monday and, and Tuesday night, and what we're going to be looking forward to, that Gooch, you've been inside the business, man. Extremely successful, great talent, man. You were telling us some tremendous stories before we got rolling here. Man, why don't you give us a little background? Give all the listeners out there a little background. I know you broke in in, in the late. Mid to late 90s, man, you've seen some crazy stuff. Why don't you let uh, everyone out there know a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I, I broke in. Uh, I started uh, training in, in 1996. I worked my very first show. It was a Christmas show. And I, I was in the ring. Uh, it was a barbed wire ring. It was a barbed wire match. My very first show was a barbed wire match. And uh, I was the hobo Santa. Fun, fun story. Uh, Fat Frank handed me a pair of – now, at the time, mind you, I was a 400-pounder at the time – and uh, Fat Frank, rest in peace, handed me a pair of sweatpants, maybe 2X, and said, <laughs> make these work. Oh. So I was like, ah, man, what do you want me to do here? He's like, make them work. Handed me a dirty Santa shirt, a, 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 a Santa jacket, a beard, and a hat, and said, okay, here are the tag belts. At the end of the match, you're going to come out. You're going to hand these tag belts over to the new champions. And... Uh, and that was it. So I, I, I wound up and I, I had these belts. I went, into the sh I went into the ring with the pants that were just rolling down every move I made. But I wound up, I wound up getting killed in a barbed wire ring just as Santa Claus by the sick world order. And also, fun fact in that match was, um, I don't know if you got Homicide, the notorious 187 himself. Uh, he's actually trained with Homicide in, in uh, Jersey All-Pro back in wow. 19... Yeah, Homicide, he was one of my trainers. Um, and Fat Frank, may he rest in peace. He was the, the father of Jersey All-Pro. Uh, and it was, it was a good time, man. I, I became king, because I was a 400-pounder, I became, became king of battle royals. And I probably did 100 of them with every single guy in the ring tossing me over the top. <laughs> well, as, <laughs> as the king fun. of the battle royal, let me ask you, what Which did I've you think? What did you think of this past weekend's Royal Rumble? The Royal Rumble match, um, there were highlights. I did have some highlights. First, uh, the first thing that drove me absolutely crazy about this Royal Rumble, I have to say, was how come when the entire New Day was in the ring at the same time, they did not come together and just start chucking people left and right? That makes zero sense to me. The second the New Day was in there together, they should have been Big E. Psh, 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 tossing people left and right. No, 
they just all kind of just got eliminated one right after the other as soon as they all got there. That drove me absolutely crazy. Uh, Baron Corbin's another one that stuck out. I know he was Big Ray's favorite. And I was like, okay, I want to see what this guy does. It gets dumped out in like 37 seconds. I thought that was hilarious too. But I was a little impressed on how he just laid waste to everybody because it got him out quick, but he still looked strong. So that they managed to maintain maintain that, uh, you know, his character a little bit in that. So he's not, you know, just getting dumped and forgotten about. He laid waste. And now I understand the reasoning behind Heath Slater even being there, getting stomped in the head by absolutely everybody coming down to the ring. That was interesting, too. I popped so <laughs> hard for that. After about the third guy, I was like, my God, I hope yeah. this goes on the entire match. The entire show. That's what I was going. That's where I was going with that one. Hey, good show. One, one other thing from the weekend. Just get your thought. Did you watch NXT TakeOver? Absolutely. Well, you made me a believer. Well, I was going to ask you too, you know, with your background, hey, hey, like you said, your first match was inside a barbed wire ring. And through your career, you've never been afraid to get in there and mix it up, you know, kind of walk that fine, that dangerous line. But what did you think of the Extreme Rules match? Well, between Black and Cole. When I came through, between that, that was. It was delightfully hardcore light, the way I looked at it, because uh, it was it was fantastic. The way they did everything, there was thought put behind every single move. But that soup, or was it the, 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 the when he took that spot on the chairs? Yes. Back, that was insanity. Absolutely insane. What were they thinking with that spot? I want to know what what went through whose mind. They said, "Yeah, in theory, this is gonna work." But yeah, no. But the the the, the two chair spot, the, the with the two table on the outside, um, that was a good spot. And I I just thought it was it was overall I I was entertained. But again, I thought it was you know like I said hardcore light because I remember back in the day, man, it was all about chairs and eating whatever you can to the face and just you know getting color instantly i loved how they've managed to go through this whole thing and where was the color on adam cole's hand that seemed to be the only color that was had in that entire match but you know i was very and i like that alistair black didn't really need a weapon what was it one time he where he took the was the chair and he just dropped the chair and was like, yeah, uh, no, yeah, get, get those I'm sticks gonna my feet. Yeah, I'm going to use my feet and I'm going to use my hands. Trust me, I, I, as far as I'm concerned, Aleister Black's going to be a universal champion sooner than later. That, that's, uh, the guy is, yeah, I think Aleister Black is awesome. Everything they're doing with him. And I think he's one of the guys that they're going to try to protect. I think you are going because, uh, to, you know, I think you are going to shit yourself when you see a picture of like <laughs> Aleister Black next to Braun Strowman. I think that's when you're really going to realize how small Alistair Black is. I I am hearing I know I am hearing I some talks of Adam Cole being called up already, and that's why they put him in that Rumble see, match. Absolutely, Rick. What do you think yeah. of that? Yeah, and I mean, also, I, he's I, like he's like the hometown boy too. They all, I, they all I, know I, think, I think that was just for a hometown pop. I, I don't think there could be really serious consideration to move him up quite yet. I mean, he's still so new to the company. There's so much for him to accomplish in NXT. And, but 
they're just the visual. Adam Cole is a small, small guy. Yeah. And you, you put him in there even against, you know, someone – Hell, not a Braun Strowman, you know, even a you know a Cesaro, a Sheamus. I mean, he's going to look oh, yeah. like a, a, a child. Yeah, like Finn Balor. He's the same problem as Finn Balor. What I'm afraid of is on 205 Live, they announced they are doing a 16-person cruiserweight championship tournament. Next week, Roderick Strong is going to be in that tournament. I'm praying to God we are not sending Adam Cole to 205 Live. You know, unless there's now, a theory. I have a theory about you. Go ahead, Gooch. About 205 Live. Um, the reason why everybody's talking about, you know, Finn Balor going to 205 Live, the reason why I don't, I don't see them putting any of the main roster guys that fit that 205 weight, that weight limit, is one, because 205 Live, I mean, and the experiment is obviously failing because nobody's watching 205 Live, and it's not because of the lack of talent. A lot of those guys that are on that show are fa- like fantastic talents, but it's a it's a show with every single match is exactly the same, and every match is a car crash. So that's why they don't I don't see them wanting to really put like like a Finn Balor on two hundred five live because you you know you're trying to save this kid you're trying to save his body you're not going to be putting him in there you know doing all these quote quote like dot 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 dives every five seconds and killing himself you know that's why they're putting these a lot of these like indie guys hey go out there get your paycheck get your spotlight and uh you know have your car crash because you know a lot of these guys going crazy and that's why but you know with roderick strong going that makes me and if they do if they do send like you were saying with uh um cole, cole he's a small guy yeah adam cole he's a small guy and you do you put him out there for people that you put him out there to 205, you know, that might start drawing some more of those, you know, smart the you know the, the smart fans' eyes to get like a Roddy Strong or get like an Adam Cole over there and still at the same time not put your Finn Balor because Triple H wants him to be champion so bad. And you're not putting him over there and you're still you you're still utilizing these guys that came from the Indies. And trying to get the, 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 the indie fans to watch a little more 205 Live. Because that's what most of their roster is. It's a lot of indie guys. You know, you got a lot of indie guys over there. And, and I think, too, you know, they could definitely, with, with what was it? Uh, what's his name? Neville. When you had Neville over there, I mean, he was king of the cruiserweights. But I can understand his frustration with his position. And like I was saying, too, get, he gets a little frustrated, too, being in all these car crashes. So that could be a reason, too, why he, you know, took a powder and decided to uh, renegotiate his, his contract. Rick, any comments? You know, it, but we're talking, you know, about they don't really give the, the focus or put an importance on there. You got to remember this, too, Gooch. If you take out the Authors for Pain and Cassius Ono, NXT last week was a 205 show. There wasn't anyone. Absolutely, was, it was. Yes, was I over. heard you guys talking about it in the locker room. Yes. I, I agreed a hundred percent. I agreed a hundred percent. So I mean, there there is a way to fix it. The problem is, it's the powers that be. You know, when you get to someone who's controlling two hundred five, you know, more than NXT, like a Vince McMahon, he just sees it as a novelty act. He doesn't get it. So there's not going to be any investment. To, Vince McMahon does not know how to book two hundred five live. He's In he's my, never understood cruiserweight wrestling. He's no, never got not it. At all. Every no, time they've tried to he, do a light heavyweight division, cruiserweight division, it's always failed miserably. He just does not get it. 
it's such a shame too because all Vince cares about are his single guys and pushing their, pushing his single guys. You know, me, I am a tag team guy. I love tag team wrestling. You know, tag team wrestling, that's I, I get I'm more into that than some of the singles matches. Um because I think when you that gives tag teams for me is an opportunity, get more guys out there, get more exposure, and you can do a lot more thing with a lot more things with four guys. Not every four way, but a lot more things happening in a match. You can tell a better story with with more guys out there. So I, I'm I'm I've always been partial to tag teams, but again, Vince don't he doesn't see that. He just doesn't, he doesn't get doesn't it. Yeah, he only cares about it. He only cares about his like his single guys, his big monsters, and his and his brutes, and that's all he cares about. And you know, to me, that's like I I, I just think. Vince McMahon is an out of touch old man at this point. I can't. I have. He's just completely. And in watching, like, talk about the NXT. If that's the product we have to look forward to, when Vince finally steps down and Triple H takes the reins. Now, never a huge Triple H fan, but if his creative mind is NXT, then that's what I'm looking forward to on the main roster product is that quality. Because that NXT show, there was no oversaturation of anything. There was no nonsense promos. Every match was booked correctly and different, and every every match had a different story. So, and that to me, that that's what the, that's what wrestling is supposed to be—a wide range of different things. Not every single match being absolutely the same. And you can see that his stories, everything is kind of blended together between SmackDown and Raw. Everything's kind of like blends together, and you see the recycled nonsense on this show becoming recycled nonsense over here on this show, and it's all kind of the same, which is making making the true like professional wrestling fan absolutely insane. And also, you know, Ben Ami and Stevie Richards getting the the SmackDown flu every week. Because it is this week, I gotta say it wasn't so bad. Well, speaking of two hundred five live, there's not really any good place on the rundown to throw this in there. So, Rick, I'm gonna ask you about this, and and, and we'll we'll go to Gooch after Rick here. What do you think of uh, Rockstar Spud as the uh, new GM of two hundred five live? You know, first off, a, a great talent, man. This guy had. He- when it comes to character work, he's one of the best there is out there. He gets you invested. He get in, no matter what role he's in, but you know he is really good in you know that that small underdog just comedy act routine. He's great there. But man, I my I, my heart went out to him, man, because it was like crickets when they brought him out there. You know, the WWE universe just is not familiar with with anything yeah. that he's really been doing. But I think he's going to win them over. I don't know if it's enough. It's you know I'm a fan of the guy, but it's not going to make me tune in. Gooch, what do you think? You a Spud guy? Um, I, you know what? I, I, I know a little bit about Spud. I, I wasn't, I didn't get to see a lot of TNA, uh, but I know, I know that the guy has a brain for wrestling. He eats shit, lives and breathes wrestling, and the guy is a plethora of wrestling knowledge. You ask him any kind of question about any pay per view ever, he'll give you, the, he'll give you the rundown. So I know the guy loves wrestling, and I definitely think that. I think that he, he's gonna he's gonna take the fan. I think the fans are gonna gravitate to him because you know you you can see like for me, me anyway, me personally, you can see who loves exactly what it is that they're doing and who is just going through the motions. 
And I feel when when he gets out there and he starts talking and he starts he starts getting his emotions out there and he starts you know selling the crowd, they're gonna fall they're gonna fall for him just like TNA did. Everybody into the Rockstar Spud is amazing. He's great on the mic and he can work. If you know if he's gonna be just the GM right now, cool. But you know what? I wouldn't mind seeing the cruiserweight title on Rockstar Spud. What was what was the new name? It's like Drake Maverick or something like that. Uh, yeah, yeah, something like that. I, I haven't seen. I, I saw Derek, Derek Maverick. I think something like that. Yeah, Derek yeah. Maverick. I think so. I don't. Why? Why change it? Why? Because I mean, because Shinsuke Nakamura is the rock star. Oh yeah, never even put that together. That's why. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's Play 205 why. Live and SmackDown. Eh. But, you know, I, I think they should have stuck with something with at least kept the spud or, you know, tried to keep something in there. So this way when people go and they say, oh, well, I want to see a little bit more about this guy and they go and start doing their homework, it'll be a little bit easier. Well, here's here's a great idea. Stop calling Nakamura the fucking rock star. <laughs> yeah, can we just call him the King of Strong style for fuck's sake? Not, really? Yes, King of Strong style fits. I like... I, uh, uh, yeah. Oh. Rocks, yeah. That rock star. I, I can't stand that they're trying to make him. They, they they're trying to make him Michael Jackson. It's horrendous. That is just, uh, you know. But he he. I think you know. I thought I I, I thought his his promo was his promo is still a little rough. He's a little rough around the edge of the promo. You know what I would but, have loved to have seen with Nakamura this week is is just show like the door of Nakamura's locker room. Because, you know, he won the Royal Rumble. He's entitled to his own locker room once in a freaking blue moon. Yeah, and right. just and just show Paul Heyman walking in there. And then let us speculate. Is he going in there to that, say, we want Nakamura and Brock? Is he going in there because he wants Nakamura to be his new client? What's going on? And leave something open-ended. But no! That, no, let's... Got those two guys have history. No, let's just put a microphone in Nakamura's hands and let him kick off the show. Uh, before we get to SmackDown yeah. Live, let's talk a little bit about Monday Night Raw, night three, coming from the Wells Fargo Center in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And this may be a first, too, because this is going to be historic. It's so historic that we are going to kick off the show with Stephanie fucking McMahon. Oh my god, I hate her so much. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm right there with you, Gooch. I'm I'm about over this entire Stephanie thing, but at least she brings out Asuka, and we actually make the moment a little bit about Asuka until she is rudely interrupted by the boss Sasha Banks, thus leading to the Jersey Mike segment presented by Kleenex. Introducing new softer Kleenex tissues, now in prettier packages. Sometimes a little change can make a big difference. Kleenex. Softer. Prettier. We also get the announcement of the women's chamber match on this show. Now, I will say this. I will say this. Not making a big deal out of this is actually a women's revolution. The fact that it was just a comment in passing and they're not beating us over the goddamn head with it like they did the Royal Rumble and like I have in saying historic on this episode, give them a couple weeks. I mean, they got a couple weeks left. They, they're gonna they're gonna cram it down our throats. There is that. There is they're that. Cram it down throats super hard. Uh, uh, before before Gooch kind of jumps in here, let let me. You know, you're talking about Jargo. You said they they gave Oscar a little bit of a spotlight there. And the visual that I took from this 
know, Stephanie is already, she's a taller girl. She's ripped. You know, she spends quite a bit of the time in the gym. So she's, she's bigger. She's got some substance. She's taller. Why did they have her in six inch heels? I mean, she was like two feet taller than the other two where it was still, yeah, you know, we got the champ in the first ever women's rumble. Or, um, we got the boss in the first ever women's rumble winner out here, but I still want you to know that I, I am so much higher than everyone else in this food chain. That was a visual I got there. That's then, a good pickup. Hey, so yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's just, you know, Stephanie still is bigger, you know, is larger than life over the actual talents that we should be focused on here. And then I will agree with you, you know, because there was nothing more sickening last month than when all the girls, when they announced the Rumble match, and they, they were just five, five seconds beforehand kicking the shit out of each other. And now they turn into sorority sisters and they're all hugging and cheering. So, okay, I, I'll give it this. You know, they just said it in passing. Here's what really kills me about this damn Elimination Chamber match for the women. There is no reason behind it. We don't even really have serious contenders for this thing. Let's look at their roster size. Um, right now, if we take out, you take out, let's see, Alicia Fox is injured. We've got Paige injured. You have Dana Brooke, who is off playing a secretary. That leaves six other women outside of Bliss. They're going to be in this thing. So just by default of being the right amount of people, by the well, by default of being on the roster, you're you're entitled to an opportunity to go headline WrestleMania or you know be the featured women's act at WrestleMania. Yeah. I mean, wasn't that the point of the Rumble? You already lost that opportunity, so now you're just because thank God you're on the Raw brand and it's our pay per view. You're going to get another chance. That's freaking bullshit to me. And a lot of these names, I, I'm I don't trust them to be able to pull this match off. That's just Stephanie McMahon thinking that we're stupid wrestling fans and we don't know anything. That's exactly what that is. Stephanie, uh, Stephanie, she, she it kills me because like we all everybody talks about the wrestling psychology, and I've come I have come to terms with the fact that wrestling psychology has no place in WWE anymore. It makes no sense because like you know there's God yeah Stephanie McMahon she just she she makes me crazy. Because she has these girls out here. Everybody's raising their hands. Oh, really quick. I want to point out Stephen McMahon with this woman's rumble nonsense. Did anybody else pick up on the fact that she's reading bullet points the whole time? She's on commentary. She had not one original thought the entire time she was on commentary. I actually, <laughs> I went back and watched the women's rumble match just to listen to a little bit of the commentary, which number one was a struggle and I could only go for about 20 minutes before I had to shut it off. But yeah. I did think it was interesting when Mandy Rose came out and Corey did his usual stick and yeah. Stephanie says, really? And it was like, yeah. Like, He's uh, been saying really? this for freaking months. Do you time. even watch your own fucking show? No, no. I knew I knew Shane didn't watch Raw, but I thought Stephanie at least would. No, why? She's still catching her check. She don't care. <laughs> if it's not about the women or not about her, she don't really she don't really care. That's how I feel. Again, I hate Stephanie. Of course, the other woman that is bigger than the entire division, Ronda Rousey. Uh, it, it was announced through ESPN that she has signed a quote unquote full-time contract. So full, so much full-time that she couldn't even show up for raw the next night after the rumble. Um, 
but it seems that there there seems to be some waves being made backstage regarding this Ronda Rousey thing. We have Nikki and Naya taking to Twitter. We have Sasha on Busted Open Radio. Everybody's kind of like, oh, yay, women's revolution. Oh, wait, never mind. Ronda Rousey's here. That yeah. seems to be the opinion of the uh, of the ladies in the back. I think Ronda Rousey is a smack in the face to all 32 women that were, that were at the Royal Rumble. You know, Stephanie, she just walked in the locker room and smacked everyone in the face individually. Said, oh, you'll figure it out at the end of the show. It, there was no reason to bring her out, to parade her out there in a jacket that is 12 sizes too big and some, you know, knockoff Roddy Piper shirt. Not a fan of the whole Ronda Rousey coming into the WWE thing. I get it. This is for, this is more for the mainstream fans. I get that. You know, again, I've been through all three of the spectrum. I've been the diehard work. I've been, I've been the worker. I've been the diehard, you know, fan. And I've become the casual. WWE has turned me more into the casual fan now because I, I realized if I keep getting if I keep getting as aggravated as I've been getting over this product, I'm going to give myself a stroke. So <laughs> I have to turn myself into a casual fan just so I don't slip at my own wrist because it's, some, some of it can get painful. Rick. Well, Gucci, it's, it's funny, you know, Gucci, you know, mentions there the casual fan. You know, going back to her appearance at the Rumble, man, they screwed this up from the get-go. I mean, how they went overboard to, you know, let us know that she is out filming a movie. She's not going to be there. Why don't the hell, why don't you stooge this off to the casuals? And then and then they fans are like, whoa, holy shit, this is happening? We need to sign up for WWE Network. We need to be watching this. This is not a time... For us to drop a surprise, this is a major PR move that they had they botched seriously, and then to even further their terrible efforts here. Okay, so you did go ahead, and she was your surprise for the Rumble. Now you've got all of your mainstream outlets blowing up that your TMC Sports, your ESPN, Fox Sports, everyone's talking about this. So on the next night, she doesn't even show up. Yeah, people are tuning in to see if this is true. To see what's going to happen here. Now I get. You know, we don't, you know, as fans, we don't really know what the full time means to her contract. They, she doesn't need to be on the road with them all the time. She doesn't need to be there every week. They, they don't need to expose her. But the night after her, you know, surprise debut and she's nowhere to be seen. In the same building. Right. Yeah, you, you, you could have just done a pre-tape. You could have just done a freaking pre-tape backstage exactly. Sunday, flown her the fuck out of there and aired it Monday night. You know, if she's got to get back to the movie set or if she's got other, you know, pro, you know, obligations going on, you could do a pre-tape tonight before you had her there with all your talent. Yeah, that, that part made absolutely no sense. I, I, I really come to the conclusion that the WWE uh, really don't know so much about their marketing because, again, you know, like, but again, too, I see that, all right, oh, now, now that they have, they, they let this out now, she showed up, oh, my God. Now they're thinking that, oh, well, our sales are going to skyrocket next month for uh, uh, for the network. Oh, at the, I think that there's a point that they they're, they're so they don't need the money anymore that they just don't care anymore. Instead of, you know, instead of giving the wrestling fan what the wrestling fan wants to see or what the wrestling fan deserves. Or again, same comes right back down to psychology. Tell the story. But instead, nope. We know it all. Our, the, the fans' opinions don't matter. We're just going to you know, shovel this down your throat again. And that's exactly what it seems like they're doing on, on the regular. 
when it comes to these other women, of course, with all this mainstream attention that's going on this Rousey thing, of course the other women inside of the division are going to be asked for a comment. When they make that comment, they don't need to be putting Rousey down and talking shit about her. It's already done. It's a signed deal. She's not taking your opportunity anymore. At this point, you have to look at making your own opportunity. If Ronda Rousey has signed a multi-year, quote-unquote, full-time deal, that means this isn't going to be a one-off, which means they have to build other opponents for Ronda Rousey. That might be you. So shut your fucking mouth and just do your goddamn job. The direction they're going there with it, people are getting worked up over this, that they're really taking offense to this. No, I think this is all a total work. This is precisely what this does is we're seeing, you know, in the case of like a Sasha Banks who went on busted open and really laid into her. We're starting to see a little more fire from the boss. We're getting that villain out of her where she, you know, actually is that boss type character. Especially from her, I think it was she's just throwing some fuel on the fire. You're getting that from some other talents. To me, this is coming off as a work. Because, I mean, just from the company, you're going to get yourself in some hot water if you go out there and start bad-mouthing this hot new signing in their eyes. It's going to you know, take their women's revolution to the next level. Well, and especially when it comes to Sasha Banks, I mean, we started seeing a bit more attitude out of her at the Rumble itself when she dumped Bailey on her head. Bailey's nowhere to be found on this show. Heaven forbid that we actually advance that storyline even a little bit. And I, then you have... Then you have Sasha come out and interrupt the Oscar promo, and this is full-on bitch Sasha Banks. And it's like we went from chapter one in the book to chapter 12 in the book. Within mm-hmm. a span of 24 hours, where's the goddamn story here? You just did three months' worth of television in 24 yeah. fucking hours, and you wonder why this show sucks. Yeah. Yeah. It, get, it, it gets aggravating. It really does. It, it's killing me. I, I, got, I, ha, I hadn't been I hadn't been watching so much. I've been listening to the, to the podcast and getting all my information from there. But I, I guess I sat down. I watched it last night. And like I said, what was it? It was like 25 minutes, a half hour of just them talking before they even talked about them having a match. And then, I mean, don't get me wrong. It was a good match. I, I enjoyed the women. I enjoyed the, uh, Oscar and Sasha Banks. It was good, but I think it was – I don't think it was the right match for Monday. I think, it, you know, why are you throwing Sasha Banks at Oscars so soon? You know, take some, take some of the girls that, you know, aren't, at, aren't quite as established and make the matches a little less competitive and make Oscar look stronger. You know, you're, you're putting her in these long matches, long competitive matches, which, okay – She's supposed to be an, she's supposed to be a destroyer. Make her look that way, you know. Instead, you're. I mean, I get it. The 50-50 booking, you know. Don't make her look like a just another one of the girls in the roster. And that's what she looks like right now. Even though that she's Oscar, nobody's ready. But okay, but Sasha Banks just took you to the limit. So what does that mean for later? Everyone else is going to take you to the limit. It should have been. It should have been a little bit smaller, tighter, and to the point. Well, outside of maybe a couple of the matches that Sasha had with Rick's precious Shar Shar, this is probably the best match that Sasha has had on the main roster. And then she goes and she screws the whole goddamn thing up with that stupid suicide dive where she damn near fucking killed herself. 
That's the one spot that you're going to remember out of what was a pretty good freaking match. But like you said, it was a pay-per-view quality match. There's no reason to give that match away on Raw. Rick, what did you think? I have to actually completely agree with you guys. The timing here is wrong. I mean, you this could have been this could be a hot program going forward if you took a couple of months to really establish Sasha, you know, as that villain or even as a threat, even how however you'd want to pair these two up. But this could have been a good program, you know, post WrestleMania or Maybe a little side story and then really heated up post WrestleMania. A terrible spot for this. And again, you know, very little advertising. It took forever to even get to the damn thing. I, I agree with you guys 100%. I will say, probably in WWE's mind, as we, as we, you know, we were just talking about this women's chamber match and we're looking at their options, who's available for this thing. I mean, it is a very weak field. So they're probably thinking we have to put, we have to hit the gas full throttle to at least get one other. You know, contender in this match that has a possibility at least gives us the perception they have a chance to win. Because right, I mean, right now, I mean, Bliss has to walk out of this thing. She's the only thing, the only one that's has any kind of build behind her, and it has any kind of star power. Well, it's curious that you bring that up because I was thinking about the WrestleMania match the other night, and let's go back to the end of the Rumble. Right. So you have Asuka, the winner, standing in the middle of the ring. Then you have the two champions, and she's about ready to choose. All right. As they were doing that moment, I almost got the impression that Asuka was going to say, I want both of you and do a triple threat. Then Rousey comes out, looks at all three of them, points at the WrestleMania sign. What if your women's main event at WrestleMania is a fatal four way? The SmackDown Women's Champion Charlotte versus the Raw Women's Champion, whether it be Alexa Bliss, or maybe this is the beginning of the heel turn for Sasha Banks. She wins it at the chamber. So you can fill in whichever one there versus Rousey versus Asuka. And you have a fatal four-way to see who's the best, the champion, the champion, the undefeated, or the bitch. Which one's it going to be? And then you got four women in one match, and that is WrestleMania main event worthy. What do you think? Would you, in your scenario, would you set it up like a a two falls match where like like we'd seen who was it that did it? You know that it was a great match back in the day. Uh, I guess he should not be named Benoit Jericho and Angle, where they had the Intercontinental in the U.S. Like the first fall is for the Raw Women's championship and then the second falls for the smackdown women's championship or how would you set that up i mean how do you- i don't think it even matters i don't even think you have to have one one of the titles on the line i think because whoever it's about who's going to be the best it doesn't matter who the champion is whoever now, wins on. that match is going to be the champion of the whole in, freaking thing on. back in november you screamed all november long about how these champion versus champion matches didn't matter i mean you have to WrestleMania, you'd have to have something up on the line this is bigger than either title. When you put Rousey in it, it's bigger than either title. They made that perfectly clear Sunday night. I, I don't I don't even understand why why is Ronda Rousey even in the title picture yet? Because she came from the UFC? Nobody has seen her work yet. That's what I'm that's what, if you put her in a fatal four-way, the other three it girls can cover it. her ass. But Gucci's yeah, yeah, saying from, from a creative standpoint, this bitch hasn't done anything to earn her spot. She's Ronda fucking Rousey. By WWE yeah. logic, that earns you a title match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The bra, yeah. 
And I, I, I definitely, I don't know. I, I think that if, uh, if they did do a four way like that, I would want it to be elimination. That's how I would go with it. Because you know, anytime for me, anytime you got four people in the ring, in my opinion, that you should fight until there's one person left. That's how. That's the way I look at it. Uh, so for me, if you were going to put all four of these women in the ring at the same time, I think it would probably come down to uh, you know WWE booking Oscar and Ronda Rousey. And for, for that, if you did all four of these women, you would have to WWE would put Ronda Rousey over in that situation and make her the first undisputed WWE Women's Champion, which I think that would be bad, bad for business because, you know, right now, Asuka, Asuka's, Asuka for me would be the way to go, but I think WWE is looking for every opportunity to kind of slow that Asuka train down. Rick, what do you think? You know, which, whichever direction they go, there only needs to be one lady standing at the top of the mountain, and we all know that is my precious Sharshar. <laughs> I don't know if you're looking at your Skype right now, but I have a little sign language for you. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, she is, no, she is number one. That's, that's how I feel about that. She is number one. Yeah, she say, is number one. I, mm -hmm. I, I like some Sharshar, and I, I, her compared to most of the women on the roster, like I started standing next to Alexa Bliss. Oh, my God. She makes Alexa Bliss look like a six-year-old. Like the size comparison between me and my kid. Gooch, you should know, but if you listen to this show, there's one thing that you don't want to do on this show, and that is bring up Rick's precious fucking Shar Shar and Alexa Bliss in the same sentence. Because otherwise, it just ends up with me and Rick yelling at one another for about a minute and a half. <laughs> I don't get angry because my side is right. You're the one that can't handle it, man. <laughs> Uh, shove your head a little bit further up then. <clears throat> Let's talk about the men's elimination chamber. Uh, we, we did get a little bit of the setup for this. Uh, Braun versus Kane, last man standing. This is actually your first real match on Raw. Uh, my question to you two gentlemen is how many people does Braun Strowman have to brutally murder in order to stay over? Because it seems like that's the only time we like Braun anymore. And, like, after you flip over a semi, how do you go bigger than that? What's the next step for Braun Strowman? He struggles with a desk here. A couple weeks ago, he flipped over a semi, and then he couldn't pick up Michael Cole. Thank you, Ben Hameen, for that little tidbit. What the <laughs> fuck are we doing here with Braun, other than putting him in the chamber so he can Braun smash something? Oh, yeah. Okay. I, I mean, for me... I am not invested in this whole Kane storyline at all. The only reason why they brought Kane in is because he was the only guy big enough to be a heel for Braun Strowman. When for me, Braun Strowman should still be a heel. There's no reason to turn this guy babyface, especially when you're trying to shove uh, Roman Reigns down our necks. You know, you're still trying to shove Roman Reigns down our neck, but you're making the biggest monster a babyface. Come on. Sorry. Come on, why are you doing this? Why? Why are you making... I mean, I understand eventually he's going to have to be the babyface. Eventually, I think his babyface turn should have should have come later on down the line when he finally becomes the champion. That's when this That's when this babyface turn, it's way too soon. Because he's a babyface, yeah, everybody's cheering and loving the guy, but he's still doing heel tactics. Like he's a baby... When was the last time a babyface... Turned a table over on, on on another competitor, even though it was Kane. Nobody, you don't do that. 
That's not what a baby face does. For me, he should still be the heel, and he should still be murdering people. And I, for me, murder everybody. You know, find a, you know what? I always enjoy it best when he's murdering Roman Reigns. I, I think that's the best when he's always throwing him off of something or into something or under something. Well, that's the that, reason he's a baby now, though, because you know they thought, hey, we're going to have him kill Roman, and then people are going to have sympathy for Roman. Well, that damn, that backfired on him. That didn't happen. <laughs> That's why he's a baby. Destroyer. You started a lot. You loved. You loved. You turned. Fell in love with the destroyer. Rick, what did you think of the uh, the the bastardous murder of Kane? I, you know, I am. I'm kind of checked out on Braun right now. You know, from all the social media activity and then seeing his interaction with Bliss for this mix match challenge. And then what's his new shirt say? Uh, get these hands or something like that, or. Something like that. Uh, something along. Okay. Well, the only visual I really have from this weekend. Yeah, he got hands when Brock lit him up after he stiffed Brock in the head with that knee. Brock stood right off and freaking lit him up. Yeah, he got hands all right. <laughs> he did. He got. He got hand. He got it handed to him. He got lit up. You saw him stagger for a sec. He was like, "Whoa, wait, hold on. I gotta stop my brain from shaking." <laughs> this is this is one of those instances where. I don't mean to be the guy to say, I told you so, but if you go back and you listen a few episodes ago, like probably in November, me and Rick had this huge conversation about how time's bowed up on Braun Strowman. People are about to turn on Braun Strowman and y'all thought I was freaking crazy. And now we're getting kind of sick of Braun Strowman. We wanted an undertaker and we got a big show. That's pretty much yeah. where we're at with Braun Strowman. Well, that's your problem. Once you go expose yourself, you know, once Big Show, when he, we see him go out and he's doing other projects and he's in a diaper or he's on television crying, when the monster was gone, he's gone. You can't go back to that. You can't go back to that same level. You, know, you can go turn it on and try as you must, as, as you want to, but fans aren't going to buy it. That's the reason that the Undertaker character worked so well for so long. Even when he was a baby, you didn't see him pandering to anyone. You didn't see him cutting any comedy bits or, you know, showing sympathy. He still was true to what that character was, no matter what side of the fence he fell on. And Undertaker isn't on Twitter tweeting about what he had for lunch. That's another thing. You don't see Undertaker with his Facebook posts or with the Twitter posts or with any of the social media nonsense. He, why? He protects his character. He always protected his character. And he was, as far as the WWE universe was concerned, he was always the Undertaker. He never broke character ever in any kind of situation, which made Undertaker Undertaker and which made him the, the, the god of wrestling that he is today, even though he shouldn't be nowhere near a ring anymore. But I think, you know, you still keep he always kept that mystique. Braun, there's no mystique to Braun Strowman anymore. You know, I granted, I'm not going to say nothing to him about dressing like an elf or doing a soapy mohawk because I don't want his hands. But. At the same time, he's killing himself by doing those things. You know, don't, eh. Hey, real, real quick before we move on from, from this match here, speaking of Braun, though, you know, if we're getting this strong rumor, I don't know where it started. I, I, don't, I don't think I can get into it, but they're talking Braun versus Miz at WrestleMania. Yeah, I'm hearing that, too. You guys got any, I mean, David, does that match do anything for you, or where, where would you go with Braun? Absolutely not. Absolutely. There's about Miz. a million people I would love to see the Miz work with, and Braun Strowman is not one of them. Nope. 
I mean, I know I'm not going to get the Miz match I wanted at WrestleMania because I wanted Miz and Jericho at WrestleMania for the Intercontinental title for the, the Intercontinental title legacy. That is a dream match right there. But uh, I, I Jericho's announced definitely... we're not getting Jericho at WrestleMania this year. Fozzie's actually booked. They're on tour. They're playing that night. Who would I put in with Braun for Mania at this point? You know, can't do Kane because that's done. I mean, how many times are you gonna? How many times are you gonna pull a scaffold, throw a truck on him, throw a table on him? That's done for me. The only match for Braun at Mania that I would even want to see now is Brock Lesnar. I wanted. I wouldn't mind seeing Braun go on and win this because uh, win this uh, elimination chamber and go on to go on against Bra- uh, Brock Lesnar at Mania. Because well, you. You do have a great story. Huh? He's been chasing that. He's been chasing Brock so long. You do have a story with those two. For months. For months. And and if you keep killing your monster in a match, even though uh, Braun didn't take didn't take the fall, but you keep, you know, you keep teasing this and then all of a sudden now you're just gonna like oh no, we're going with Roman again. Don't worry, we'll bring Braun back into the picture later. No. Stick with what's working. People loving Braun Strowman and Brock Lesnar killing each other. Nobody that I know wants to see Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar again. I have no desire for that. I can tell you what's going to happen with Braun Strowman. He's going to end up fighting Hunter at Mania. That's what's going to happen. Absolutely. And doing the job for him, too. Goddamn right he will. Meet Mr. (laughs) Sledgehammer. Uh, Also on this show, we had Elias versus Matt Hardy. Uh, for one reason or another, we are continuing with this Wyatt versus Hardy bullshit. Mm-hmm. But the only was a- little glimmer of hope that there is for woken, broken, joking, whatever the hell he is, Matt Hardy. The WWE has signed Jeremy Borash. Now, it sounds like Jeremy Borash is going to NXT to join Hunter's team down there. And look at the names that Hunter is bringing in and putting around him now. You have Jeremy Borash, you have Gabe Sapolsky, you have Steve Carino, you have Shawn Michaels. That's one hell of a fucking creative team they've got going on down there at NXT. I mean, if if you're putting together a team for the future, that's one hell of a team. And then you add Morrow on commentary. That's one hell of a team. But it wouldn't surprise me to see Borash be tapped to help with this Hardy shit. You know, one guy that you mentioned that sticks out to me is Carino. I love me some Steve Carino. Man, I've I've listened to this guy work a match. I've listened to him talk and, like, set a matchup. Bro, like, he can visualize everything. Like, you just see him. He just talks. He just goes. And he he can see everything that's going to happen in a 25-minute match in the three minutes that you got that these guys are talking about it in the back. It's amazing watching him create, like watching him, him do his thing is, is magnificent. Now, you know, everybody has their, their opinions like high or low about Carino. Another guy down in NXT that is a brilliant wrestling mind is Cassius Ono, Cassius Hero. That yeah, we talked guy, about that the other day on our show. Yeah, this guy's brain for wrestling, it's just fires you you give him a he'll he can break down a story he can give you six different ways to to work the same match and tell a different story every time with the same two guys and that's just how his brain goes like he's so brilliant when it comes 
to working out a match, the psychology of a match. And that's why NXT is working the way it is. Because, again, as far as Cassius goes, I don't see him going anywhere. I don't see him going to main roster. I feel his spot, his his main spot is in NXT. Because another thing about, about Hero is the one thing he loves more than anything else is teaching. He loves to teach. He loves educating younger guys. And to, to me, that's what it's all about. It's about educating these younger guys. That's why the match uh, with him and Velveteen, that was a, just an education lesson. You know, Velveteen is good. He's got money written on him. He's going to be something. Still rough around the edges. But again, that's why he's in there with somebody like Hero to smoothen out those edges and to learn, do this here and timing and all this other kind of stuff. And now NXT, and that's what made this product so much better. The NXT show, the NXT everything is because now you have all these guys in NXT with these brilliant wrestling minds and not being tied down by Vince McMahon's control nonsense. The guy's a control freak, so every match has to be exactly what Vince McMahon wants it to be, and that's why everything is exactly the same. And that's why in NXT, everything's different because you've got all these brilliant minds blending together, not saying, oh, my, my ideas are better. So we're going to go with what I say. No, everybody works together, sits down at the table, and, and talks it out. Okay, what are you doing in your match? Which is another thing that irritates me. You know, nobody talks about what's going on in their matches anymore. And, and oh, I told this man. <laughs> I totally lost my thought right there. Rick, what do you think? What do you, what do you make of the WWE signing Jeremy Borash and this team that Hunter is putting together down there? I think you guys have laid it out perfectly. I mean, you got you're building like an, essentially a dream team. You know, Joker, you said just creatively. I and and Gooch threw in. I mean, you've got every component down there. Just not, you know, you've got some great minds for creative. You've got just eyes for talent, guys that know how to put the psychology of the ring. You know, a match together inside the ring, and then you bring in someone like Borsch. I mean, you're talking. I mean, this guy, his production, what he's been able to do on a budget within a company like TNA Impact Wrestling. What he's been able to do there, you know, just the, you know, with the choppy stuff they had to do with the broken gimmick there, man, now he's up with the big boys where he's got some serious money behind him where he can have, you know, really bring to life these visions that he has. You know, all around, this is a tremendous signing for the WWE company. Hopefully he does, you know, someone listens up and he does get to, you know, lend a helping hand towards the, you know, what's going on with Hardy and Wyatt here. Unfortunately, I'm not too excited, you know, for that going forward because, you know, the buck actually, it always stops with Vince there. And if he's just not getting it, we're going to continue to get what we've got, this garbage going on. So I'm more excited to see when they actually open it up for him, you know, let the reins loose a little bit for him in NXT to see what he really can bring to the company, you know, through that venue. The other name we didn't even talk about down at NXT when you brought up a talent scout, William freaking Regal. He's on that team too. I mean, my God, you're right. That is quite the dream team. Um, of course, this conversation was far more interesting than the match itself. We get a Wyatt distraction and Elias is off to the elimination chamber to meet Braun Strowman. That'll be a fun interaction. Uh, then also for the uh, qualification for elimination chamber, Finn Balor versus John Cena. That was your main event on this show. Um, my biggest question that I had for you, uh, when I originally watched raw was why are we shooting promos on iPhones? 
And then I saw it also on SmackDown. And I thought, God, this is going to be the worst thing that I'm going to have to talk about this week. Because guess what, WWE? We all take selfie videos because we don't have multi-million dollar cameras following us around everywhere we go. But no. Then we get the graphics package redos, which I enjoyed the graphics package on Raw, but that graphics package for SmackDown has got to go and has got to go immediately. I felt like I was watching an old Batman episode. There's like words just <laughs> popping up at me randomly on the fucking you know screen. What? Hold on. You know what? I would, I think I would pop more for that old school production than a lot of the stuff that they try these days. But hey, Gooch, you got any, you got to take or anything on these, these iPhone promos you, you got to take on this? Yes, I do. Um, I feel like what the WWE is trying to do is they're trying to make, they're trying to make, uh, like they're trying to make John Cena seem more uh, relatable to the right, to the everyday fan like myself, who I love cutting my promos, you know, makes it makes him feel more like, oh, he's like he's one of us. He's cutting he's cutting videos on his phone because he's just trying to get there. He's just trying to get to WrestleMania. So he's gonna cut a video on his phone because he's John Cena and everybody's overlooking him. So that's why that's what I feel like there, especially with John Cena, because you like this this feel. This is just this feel in the air with this new John Cena that has just popped up most recently. Yeah. And the next thing I actually wanted to talk about is what is going on with John Cena here? Because at the rumble, we saw a very different side of John Cena. We were seeing that aggressive side of John Cena. Then Monday night, Monday night on raw, the fans were getting in Cena's head and they were putting that over on the commentary hard Mm -hmm. and then he's having issues beating finn balor which the old john cena would never have an issue beating a little puny panty waist like finn balor i'm sure that's what went through rick's head as he was watching this match because he's a balor hater but i'm wondering i i I just don't hate balor but i you know actually in this conversation i was going to come to his defense but i I think this is because we're, we're starting to get into a change in psyche with cena and if they are going to move forward with what we're hearing, if it is Taker, a lot of those Taker, the suspense behind Taker programs is about the psyche of the individual. I'm wondering if it's time for Hollywood John Cena. No. Not yet. It's too soon. Uh, especially with The Miz. At the same time, we're talking about John Cena doing this transition. Miz is also doing his, his, his own transition, too. Because in the Rumble... If you remember last year's Royal Rumble with John Cena and The Miz was one, two, three, boom, boom, in and out. Miz came in and Miz went right out. This year, roles were reversed. Miz came in and got all his heat in on John Cena. And, you know, and this, this, yeah, he got all his stuff in on John Cena and it, it didn't get jobbed out by him, unlike last year. But I, de- I definitely think we're in a transition here with John Cena. Like he's, like all, all of a sudden, John Cena's worried about getting to WrestleMania. Oh, he kept. Oh, I'm just trying to get to Mania, guys. I'm just trying to get to WrestleMania. You're John Cena. Why are you worried about getting on a Mania card? You just walk up and go, "Ah, eh, work with him. I yeah. don't want to grab this guy." Think you know what I mean? Think there's something Nobody going on with Cena here. You, you know what's kind of what's also interesting with Cena on this road to WrestleMania. You know, he's he's now qualified for the chamber. He'll be working the Raw event. He's also advertised for 
the uh, Fastlane event, the SmackDown brand event that's out of Columbus here, also on the road to WrestleMania. He's going to be working for both brands on the road to WrestleMania. I have heard some talk that, that number one, Roman Reigns is winning the Elimination Chamber and going on oh. to face Brock Lesnar. That's quite clear to me at this point. But then where does that leave Cena? He's still trying to find his way to WrestleMania. And I have heard talks of at Fastlane, a John Cena, Shinsuke Nakamura program for the number one contendership for AJ Styles. So that's interesting. That's interesting. Didn't we see that match for a number one contendership? Back yeah. And then, and the then Nakamura summer. dropped him on his head. Remember? Yes. Yeah. I remember that match. Um, Cena goes over, qualifies for the chamber. Uh, then we go to Miz and Roman Reigns. Well, hold on. Can, can I get my, my Baylor? I'm going to show him a little, I'm going to show him some love where I felt that they really failed him. I, I you know, feel, to, I feel sarcasm coming here. No, I, I, this is, this is, this is honest. Cause Hey, I don't like Baylor in any way, but I tell Jargo this all the time. Hey, I understand. You know what? The fanboys out there, they love them cause they think they can be, all the, the Lego nerds, they love their Finn Balor. So why not make money off of them? Business is business. You get the best product. You get the product that people want out there. You know, he did. He had a great run in the Rumble match. I think he, he probably had the, the 50, longest like time 50, in the match. 57 well, minutes, did, 42 seconds. Okay. They did. They made like two mentions of his effort in his outing in that match. And then they did very little here to really you know make him as he's like your, your Iron Man from this year's. Rumble match and how much he's put in and the effort, the talent. I don't. They did shit this week to sell him to anybody. It was just like, hey, let's just run him out there for this, and hopefully his fans take to it. They did nothing to sell him. Then he, you know, he he goes under here again, which I think that it was the right call to have Cena go over. But hey, I will say, man, I felt bad for Balor this la- this last weekend. I think they did absolutely. It was a garbage job of promoting him. I think this was all done on purpose. Um, because number one, Balor was not the focus of this match at all. I mean, if you listen to the commentary, all they did was talk about Cena. Balor just happened to be the opponent that was in there. Here's the thing though. When you see Balor versus Cena, you think, wow, that's going to be a really good match. And it wasn't, it wasn't a really good match. And I think that was done on purpose that it wasn't a good match so that Cena got the response that he got. So Cena could wrestle the match that way. I'm quite sure those two would be very capable of putting on whatever kind of match they wanted to put on. We saw well, glimpses not, of I'm it not there. I'm taking the match. I'm just thinking, I don't think they did that. They did Balor any favors just on commentary, just, you know, relaying to the audience. You know, those that are listening at home or, and then you had some, you had some casual eyes on you this weekend to sell this guy who is relatable to a lot of the fan base out there. That's the reason people take to him. They think they can be him. He's relatable. They didn't do anything to promote him. You talk about, you talk about the numbers. I don't have the exact numbers yet, but I did see the viewership numbers. You know how many, how many viewers they retained from last week's, like almost 5 million viewers, about a hundred thousand. Whoopty fucking do. That's what you get for putting out a shitty show. Miz versus Roman Reigns. Uh, I as Rick knows. Rick knows I've been on this tirade for 
what feels like months now since well really well, since since Roman won the championship the Intercontinental Championship they've been having him wrestle these obnoxiously long matches whether it be 29 minutes 22 minutes this week it takes Roman Reigns 18 minutes to lose to the Miz it took him 18 minutes to lose to the Miz and yet you're going to try to convince me that at WrestleMania Roman Reigns is going to beat Brock Lesnar in 12 minutes good luck with that yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of checked out when it comes to Roman Reigns. I, 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 I was a huge Roman Reigns. Uh-oh, Gooch was putting over Roman Reigns and the hacker Ben Hameen has taken him out. The Gooch is frozen. Gooch, if you can hear us, why don't you drop out and try to come back in? Rick, why don't you go ahead? What do you got to say here? Well, you know, as, as Gooch was... You know, hitting on something there before uh, the hacker took over. You know, I want to look. You said this match was what was eighteen was it minutes. Eighteen minutes. 18 okay. Minutes. Uh, it, so it took him eighteen minutes to lose to the Miz, and it, this is believe us out there. We're not knocking the Miz in any way, but in a in a WWE narrative, in within the WWE universe, you know, the Miz is that cowardly heel. You know, he he should be no threat to Roman Reigns. So it takes him eighteen to lose that match. On the flip side, on you know, the night before at the Rumble, Brock Lesnar, who is the champ, the guy you're chasing after, it took him just shy of 11 minutes to beat the other two big monsters in the company. Two on, you know, two men, two other monsters in a match with him in a triple threat. He does it under 11. Yep. Yep. I'm wondering if the Gooch knows how to get back in. We may have you to proceed to- without the Gooch. You want to pause or? Uh, yeah. Why don't we? Let's let's pause okay. right there for a second, and uh, we'll try to get the gooch back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Yeah. For me, Miz can do no wrong. I love everything he's doing. Absolutely well, everything, Miz is doing. Well, our, our point there, Gooch, is you know what Jogger's been bringing up for so long, and I, I agree with him one hundred percent. Is you know in a WWE narrative, you know Miz is that cowardly heel, and he, you know. Roman is like this grand conqueror. He should be able to whoop the Miz's ass. But, you know, he's going 18 minutes with the Miz, and he's working other undercard guys and going 20-plus minutes. So how, you know, how are we supposed to believe that, you know, he's going to take out Brock Lesnar? Because on the flip side, Sunday night, we saw Brock beat not just one, but two monsters in under 11 minutes. Yeah. Well, I agree with you 100%. Roman, again, Roman shouldn't be having these competitive matches every single week. That's what your John Cena is for. John Cena, who is a glorified part-timer at this point, he doesn't need to be over anymore. So that's why John Cena should be working these competitive matches, making these young guys look better. And, you know, with Roman Reigns still kind of protecting that Roman Reigns, well, supposed mystique of what he's supposed to be. Because I don't believe that he's going to beat Brock Lesnar. Well, you know, this is the same the same thing with the women's division. You know, Oscar goes twenty minutes with Sasha, but now we're supposed to believe that she can take out Ronda, who's like you know a legit badass. Right, UFC, yeah, legit legit badass, but you can't take out this hundred and six pound girl. Come on. The uh, only other really match worth talking about on Monday Night Raw was the Revival versus Slater and Rhino. And it's not even so much that the match itself was worth talking about. It was more about the promo afterwards. Uh, 
So where do we stand with the revival now? Coming out of Raw 25, uh, where they get buried by DX, then they come back and they beat the club, and now they come out and they beat the former SmackDown tag team champions, Slater and Rhino, fairly easily, and they're cutting promos and they're talking about the crowd trying to get themselves over and they're not sports entertainers. They're professional wrestlers and only inside of a WWE narrative are these bad things to say, but yeah. that's how they're being presented. They're being presented as heels. So what do we make of the revival now two weeks or whatever it's been since raw 25? The revival is a dying breed. And I, I love what they're doing. I, I love the I love their chemistry together. Um, and I, I, I definitely, you know, these guys, I, I see these guys being champions at some point. And the Royal 25 thing, it, the way I see that is that wasn't that wasn't Triple H burying them. That was them sharing a ring with DX. That's how in their mind they're seeing it that, oh, we're not burying these guys. We're let, we're letting them share a ring with us, and we're just going to job them out. But they're in the ring with us, so they're getting that rub there. That's how I, that's how I see them seeing it. So I, I think that's them kind of you know. And, and again, they in both matches they've had since then they've won. Give them that, and, you know. They beat the club, who hasn't? They beat Rhino and uh, Rhino and Slater, who hasn't? Uh, who hasn't exactly? But again, too, I think that you know, the direction that that uh, the revival's going, which I mean, I hate the name revival. That that's I me. I call I in my world. I have my own little wrestling world. They're the top guys, and they're actually my modern day four horsemen. That's a whole other thing, man. But uh, but the revival, they're on track to definitely take those belts. Um, definitely, yeah, they're definitely on track to take those tag belts, which is going to happen. Uh, I don't know sooner or later, but that's definitely going to happen. But I, I don't, I don't think that the DX tried the, they tried burying him with that spot. I think that was them kind of like trying to, Oh, well, they're shining because they're in the ring with us. Just think, so, uh, just think a year ago in NXT, the revival was considered one of the top two or three tag teams in the world. They were in a Twitter they, feud with the young bucks, which would have been a huge money match. If you actually could have made that match happen. And yeah, now look at where they're at. Rick, what do you think? Well, I mean, do check you get what you're saying because that's from their standpoint how WWE viewed, you know, they're giving these two young guys a great rub by getting, their, getting them in there with these legends and stars. But I'll tell you what, man, they probably pitched that same thing to the Ascension a year or so ago and look where they're at now after they went out there and, you know, took, got their ass beat by the AOP and, or the APA sure. and, and the Dudleys and so on there. I mean, they they really, no pun intended, took it on the chin at Raw 25. And it's going to take some time to build them back up. You know, to me, it's not through promos. To me, to get these guys back to where they're viewed as a respectable tag team is to go out there and let them do what they do. Let them go out there and wrestle. Right. You, know, cut, you know, give them 10 to 12 minutes each show to really go out there and shine to show that they are what they are. They're, they're a throwback. You know, if you really want to get some good heat on a man, I, I don't know. I, this would be burying an entire division. I would love to see them show up on a 205 or come out during a Raw, one of those big cluster uh, cruiserweight matches, and just have, you know, the revival just trash the dot dot dive guys. Yeah. 
let the revival wrestle. That's how I feel. Let the revival wrestle. Let them go in there and let them let them get over. Well, their heels. Let them show what they can do inside the ring. I agree with you. They don't need to be out there cutting promos. They need to be out there stretching guys, and that's that's what they need to be doing. And uh, yeah, I I and, and I feel bad for these guys because they got played with so many things. One guy got hurt. He came back. The next guy got hurt, and it's just it's snowballed. And now everybody was so high on these guys, and now all of a sudden is a out of sight, out of mind. That's what happens, unfortunately, out of sight, out of mind when it comes to a team like this, who they should have already been tag team champions, in my opinion. I, but I definitely think, hopefully, by Mania, they'll have a. I, I want to see them go go for the tag titles because otherwise, who, who else? They, who else is going to be in the the tag team, the Raw tag team? I, I got a feeling it's going to be, this is going to be that where, you know, it's going to be a pre-show match where every available team they have on Raw is just going to be thrown out there and it'd be, a, you know, oh, a four corners. Yeah, it's going to be one of those on the pre-show. It's not going to get any respect. I, that's that's just where I see this thing going, But which is a shame because they have some great talent uh, over there. You know, I, 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 would love, I would love to see those guys tear it down. I just don't think they're going to give them the respect. Speaking of tag teams and WrestleMania weekend, the Hall of Fame inductions have uh, started to be announced here. And now we know that the Hall of Fame will officially become Dudleyville, USA. The Dudley boys going in to the Hall of Fame. Very well earned. Congratulations, guys. Yes, yes congratulations. Greatest yeah. tag team of all time. Do we agree on that? Uh uh, I would say arguably the greatest tag team of all time. Um, like they, no one else has done more than them. Um, but again, over the years, it's the reason why I say arguably is because there's been so many different tag teams over the years. For me, my number one tag team all time, I am a Steiner Brothers mark to the hilt. Loved me some Steiner Brothers. My fantasy match that never got to happen was the Steiner Brothers versus the Hart Foundation. Never got it, and I was heartbroken for it. Um, but Dudleys are definitely, you know, they're up there in my top three eh, D tag team. My top three tag teams. I mean, when um, you when you look at their body of work, and I mean not just inside of WWE and and the WWE Enterprises umbrellas. I mean, but also you know, the TNA stuff and the Ring of Honor stuff. And these yes. guys have been all over the freaking world. These guys, if there was ever a Hall of Famer tag oh, team, oh, it's the Dudley out Boys. Of the out of the park with these. Because, again, these guys went down to TNA. And they helped build that company. Unfortunately, they were there for the whole Hogan regime. But you know what? I know these guys were down there taking these young talents and saying, come on, guys. We're going to work with you. We're going to make you better. We're going to teach you how to do everything. Like uh, Motor City Machine Guns. The work they did with the Motor City Machine Guns, they took these two kids and skyrocketed them to the top. I mean, even still, like, the, dude, I don't even know if these guys are still tagging up uh, anymore. But I know I still think about the Motor City Machine Guns as being a, a, a really a legitimate good tag team. And you, and you need to listen to our show more often because you would know if you listen to our show more often that the Motor City Machine Guns are the current reigning Ring of Honor World Tag Team Champions. No kidding. And they're in a feud yeah, with the Briscoes and they're about to get the shit kicked out of them. 
<laughs> I actually let me uh, fun story. I remember the Briscoes. I remember when the Briscoes they worked uh, they worked with us when they were still kids. Um, they no tattoos, all their teeth. All their <laughs> Man, you're, you're revealing your age here, big time, dude. <laughs> Yeah, if you're if you're talking, you know that Mark Briscoe had all of his teeth, man. Jeez, that's got to be a while ago. And their dad used to drive them to the shows. Their dad would bring them to the shows, and they wrestled. Uh, they wrestled uh, uh, my two of my buddies, the Insane Dragon and Dixie, uh, from Jersey All Pro in, in ECW Arena. We were working, and uh, and they were both. And you know, I, I think I think we can say this now because it's been enough years. But we had, they had to scrub these guys' paperwork because they were both 16 years old at the time. Or they were, they, all of them were under 18. All four of these guys were under 18. So they had to, we had, they had to finagle the paperwork to get these guys to wrestle in Philly. It was hilarious. The but Briscoes no, remind me so much of the Dudleys back in yes. like the ECW days. You know, yes. but unfortunately, I don't think the Briscoes are ever going to get that opportunity for the mainstream success that the Dudleys finally ended up achieving. Unfortunately, I don't see the Briscoes being the WWE caliber. Uh, or I mean, they could definitely they have the ability to work the WWE, uh, but I don't see them as being guys that you know are going to get the call. Unfortunately, you know they have the talent. Both of these both of these guys are awesome. Uh, I want to call them kids, and I can't no more. They're grown men. They're grown men now. But, Breaking yeah. news that uh, maybe absolutely nothing. Paige is live on Instagram right now. Oh my God. She's a hot mess too. Let me get you started on her. Rick, any thoughts <laughs> yes. about the Dudley boys going into the Hall uh, of Fame? I, I think it's I think it's very well deserved. You know, Gooch was trying to break it down there. You know, when you get there's when you look at all the different years, it's hard to really say who is the greatest of all time, but they are definitely, you know, top three, top five. And what's what's great about them is yes, they are most certainly the most decorated. But you hear sometimes, oh, you know, those you know those are just handed out. No, those those are given out because you mean something of importance to drawing an audience and, and carrying a division. These guys just didn't do it in one company. They've done it in you know over half a dozen, and they've done it around the entire globe. Hats off. Oh, yeah, definitely hats off to them. Anything else that you guys wanted to comment on when it comes to Monday Night Raw? I, I'm good. I'm, I'm ready to kick it over to Tuesday in the in the blue brand. All right. Here's my here's my Tuesday night SmackDown review. <laughs> That's what I thought of SmackDown. Yeah, that was annoying as shit. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, so you know, for, you know, before we jump in here, let me ask you guys because. You know, they were up against some some big time competition. Do you think that they kind of just mailed this one? You know, phoned this one in. I think that's why you got the, the state show of the that you got. Yeah, because they knew that. I I haven't seen the numbers for SmackDown yet, but I can't imagine they're very good. I'll tell you the one thing I did like about SmackDown was the Usos. The Usos promo. I I I just I love listening to the Usos talk because I think they're. They're everything that they want Roman Reigns to be, and it's unfortunate that, yeah. Okay, now Roman we, Reigns is- we talk about Batman, okay? I'll give you, it was a good promo to listen to, 
but to watch it with that stupid jail cell animated door. Lockdown! Lockdown! What the fuck are we... And the same thing with the Batman everywhere. I thought that was good. I thought that would be good for one segment. One segment? All right, that's passable. Okay, I'll, I'll take the Batman words for one <laughs> segment. But the entire night, what is going on here? Yeah, like, are we trying to murder SmackDown Live? Are we trying to tank this show? It's, you know, just for months now. It's been, you know, when this, when the brand split happened, you know, SmackDown came out, it was firing on all cylinders. It was hot. You know, when AJ was in charge of it and he, well, he was the face that ran the place there. It was, people were tuning into it ever, ever since the gender debacle. It's, it's been hard to watch. Too sweet. Uh, so yeah, let's talk about the train wreck that is SmackDown Live. The show starts off with Shinsuke Nakamura, which, all right, cool. We're featuring the Rumble winner. And then out comes Owens and Zayn. And then Styles. And it was like, oh, God. Oh, God. Nakamura's been roped into this terrible storyline with Shane and Brian, too. Oh God, it's like a, it's, it's a black hole that just keeps expanding. You know, it started off, it was just Shane McMahon and Kevin Owens. And then we got Sammy Zayn and then we got Daniel Bryan and then we got AJ Styles. And now we're pulling Shinsuke Nakamura into the black hole, otherwise known as Shane McMahon. Can I just say I hate Shane McMahon too? I think the last name McMahon, I just... Uh, I'm just, I'm over the McMahons. I'm over the McMahons going to wrestling fantasy camp. Just run the company. Just run the company. That's all you need to do. Yeah. Stay behind the scenes. We don't need to see you on TV. A lot of what they use for, you know, when they, I've heard some different interviews from even people that have worked within the company. A lot of this comes from USA executives that think people still want to see a McMahon out there. They want to see them as the leader at the forefront of anything WWE. And I, I, I'm going to call complete bullshit on that. You know, people are getting tired of the act. They don't, they can't come up with any uh, new or creative way to, to book the family. So it's time for them to step back. And now you've got with this, this thing, it's like, they're just throwing, you know, anything against the wall to see what sticks. Now you're bringing in Nakamura. It's even more of a cluster. What really killed me here is you've got Owens and Zane versus AJ Styles and Nakamura. That's a huge television tag team main event. The match was freaking terrible because it was about everything besides the talent, the ring, and the story going on between Owens and Zayn was just over the top annoying. I could barely get through this match. And the worst part of that is it wasn't even the worst thing that happened on SmackDown. That's the worst part of that. So Brian announces that we're going to get Owens versus Zayn next week, number one contender match for the WWE Championship. I would expect this to be the greatest match that these two have ever had. I mean, they're going for the number one contendership for AJ Styles' title. Mm -hmm. But it's not going to be. It's going to be terrible. And I know it's going to be terrible because it's going to be on SmackDown Live and they're going to draw a 1.76 rating because that's what they do on SmackDown now. That's pretty much my take on the entire situation. Gooch, what do you think? I think uh, now the whole Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens dynamic, 
Um, I, they're starting to get a little annoying. Uh, and that, for me to say that, is I'm a huge Kevin Owens fan. I love Kevin Owens' work. You know, I'm a fat kid at heart, and I relate to this guy. I see this guy, you know, the not muscular, the, the, the heavy set, overweight, out of shape guy doing all these magnificent moves made me a Kevin Owens fan. But this storyline, the Shane McMahon nonsense, this Brian, uh, Daniel Bryan nonsense, it's it's starting, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to swallow. It's really hard to swallow. And I want Sami Zayn to go back go to not talking. I don't want to listen to Sami Zayn talk. Um, See, this is the I, thing I love, though. That's the thing I love about it. I'm a Kevin Owens fan. You're a Kevin Owens fan. I'm an old school El Generico fan. I'm sure you are as well. We've seen these guys come up. We like these two and they are doing such a good job that even I can't stand them. Exactly. That's pretty good. That's pretty good character work when you're making your lifelong fans not be able to stand you. And I'm, I'm telling you, this is going to lead up to Sami Zayn turning on Kevin Owens, Kevin Owens becoming a baby face and becoming freaking hot. I'm yeah, just not sure that Sammy's going to be able to pull his like end of the deal. Rick, what do you think? We've got little man here. We've, we've got mini Gooch who wants to join the show. Yeah, he's, he's hot on these topics too. I don't know. It, it almost seems I'm with you guys. I've followed this this development between these two like, almost since they broke into the you know the mainstream where we could really start picking up on them and on the independent scene. And then it, on this larger stage here at WWE, I'm just kind of tired of this entire program here for a little bit. I just I wish two years ago it would have gone away for four years. Oh, we were saying when they did this originally. Okay, you're gonna do a brand split. You're gonna have a draft. Kevin Owens has to go to one show and Sami Zayn has to go to the other show. Keep these two apart for a while. And no, they've kept them together the whole time. First, they were both on Mm -hmm. Raw. Then they were both on SmackDown. We cannot split these two guys up. Just send one to one show and one to the freaking other one. And I'm almost at the point, either direction they're going with these guys. Uh, and even even to an extent, Nakamura and Styles, which, yes, I know it's going to be a, a great matchup. People are excited for. Uh, I'm, I'm going to need more build. But lumping all four of these talents in with whatever they're doing with Daniel Bryan and Shane McMahon is a complete turnoff to me. Yeah. I'm telling you, people are going to be disappointed in Styles versus Nakamura because they're expecting that Wrestle Kingdom match. And I will be impressed if they give them more than 15 goddamn minutes at WrestleMania, because as I look at the WrestleMania card right now, I got it fourth from the top. Yeah, it's, it's not going to get, you know, that Wrestle Kingdom match went like 40 minutes, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Or at least one a half hour plus. It's not going to get that time. It's not going to get that attention. Yep. It's, it's not going to be, be the match the that we're expecting. I love those two guys, but I'm just afraid that they're not going to let them do it. Also on this show, we have the U.S. title, Fatal 4-Way number one contendership. This may have been the worst thing I've ever seen in the history of television. The four-way between Kofi, Jinder, Rusev, and Ryder. And more importantly, Big E pummeling poor Corey Graves with pancakes throughout the duration of the match. What can we can we stop with the pancakes? 
This that's all Vince McMahon. I know, I, but I, it's not funny. It's, it's just funny. stupid. It's, exactly, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I and you know he's just sitting there. <laughs> All he cares about is entertaining himself at this point. That's how I feel. He just he just wants to entertain himself, and the fans don't even matter anymore. So you're taking you're taking uh, which New Day to me is like the SmackDown Cena, which the New Day to me now is like is like SmackDown's version of John Cena. And they just go out there and and dance and and sing. Go out there and dance and sing, and uh, dance for the cat. <laughs> Sorry, guys, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> this is awesome. is like being say, crawled all over. Yeah, like yeah, little yeah, man's yeah. happy to have dad home, and then Gooch is like, I'm trying to do. Can, can you just? I'm, I'm trying to. Having <laughs> you know, having you know, having uh, Gooch Junior involved here is a lot more entertaining than anything that was with this match. And again, you know, talking about you know the pancakes. It's just it's about everything but what's going on inside the ring, and it's it's it goes beyond it's beyond irritating. And I guess you know I got to you know you know stooges off out there. You know myself when this started up, I skipped this match. I, I didn't care at this point. I am looking forward to next week. I am looking forward to Rusev versus Bobby Roode. But please, for the love of all things holy. Do a double turn in this match. Rusev is a baby face. He's not a heel. Bobby Roode is a heel. He's not a baby face. Can we just please, for the love of God, get our shit together and turn these guys? I think with the Bobby Roode being baby face, they're trying to get the fans really into him being the baby face. So this way, when he does do the heel turn, it'll mean more. Because people, because uh, again, people who don't know him, because that's Vince's thought processes. Nobody knows who this guy is. Nobody's seen him before. He's never been in WWE. So let's make him a babyface. So this way, when they do turn him heel, because he's so much better as a heel, it'll mean more. If they just had a little bit of consistency between NXT and the main roster, you wouldn't have this problem. But that's Vince. Vince knows nothing of NXT. He doesn't even care. It's like, oh, and that that's matter. the problem. Exactly. <laughs> that's why we're here. Because <laughs> there's he doesn't. He, Vince is so stuck in his own little world. What is he? 178 at this point. I think so. I think so. I think that's. I think that's a nice round number. Rick, what do you think of the double turn? Rude and uh, Rusev next week. I, I'm down with you 100 percent on it. Rude is. Is much better suited as a heel. You know, they, he, all that I, all that they saw when he came up was this guy's got a great entrance. People like to pop for it. So they totally abandoned what made the character so great. You know, from NXT, they they didn't transition it well. Like you said, they need to get back to those basics. I just worry at this point if they if it's almost too late, or, unless, or he needs like a major major shot in the ass to really get him moving again. Really, the only other thing on this show worth talking about at this point is this top 10 list thing that they're doing. And uh, yes, you guys are. Here's the reason that I think this is interesting. Because they say top 10 list 
and like ranking system and using it to determine title shots. And I'm thinking this sounds an awful lot like the UFC ranking system. I can't think UFC without thinking Fox. Again, I feel like they're trying to adapt a little bit of their presentation to make a real run at this Fox Sports deal. Well, you throw this in here, and it's the same as now that they're doing the post-match interviews when the guys are blown up. I mean, you see that in the world of MMA. You have yep. that immediate post, post-match interview. Now, is there going to be any kind of fan interaction, or is this, this them internally generating a top 10 list? It sounds like this entire thing is supposed to be voted on by the talent, which means that it's going to be an ever-loving, just stir-crazy pot of crap. But I do look forward to somebody like Kevin Owens going around backstage politicking for people's votes. Okay, because I was I because you guys remember when Bischoff and Hogan came into TNA, they tried something like this where every week there was a, a ranking system that was released. Dude, going that. all the way back to the days of Watts, this has been tried and tried and tried, and it just cripples their booking, and so they just scrap it within about six weeks. But promotions have tried this for years. Right. It, it, oh, just even like in the magazines, it was always like my favorite part of the PWIs. Go right to the back and see where everyone's oh, going to make each promotion. Yes. Yeah. But, you know, I when, used to when tournaments out of those brackets. Awesome. Uh, but when TNA tried this, they let the fans have a hand in this. That's why I was curious if WWE's because, you know, with all like their social media, they're trying to get people active. When TNA did it with the fans, it blew up in their face because the people that Bischoff and Hogan wanted to push to the top. They weren't getting the votes. I mean, it was week in, week out. Nigel McGinnis was blowing everyone away in the vote, and they had to keep putting him up there at number one, and it was killing them, like, you know, from their their perspective. Yep, yep. Uh, Last thing off of SmackDown was Charlotte and the Riot Squad and the teased cash-in from Carmella. I thought this entire segment was just god-awful. I was not a fan of it at all. I, I've heard a lot of people putting over uh, Ruby's mic work on this uh, little promo here. And uh, I would just like to say that I thought it sucked. Because that's how she delivered the entire fucking promo. Yeah. She was screaming at the top of her lungs the whole time. Just, oh my God, stop. I, I thought it was a completely, you know, I hate, I hate that to be negative on anything, Shar Shar completely just waste of a segment didn't really need it on the show but you know what it, it was a little bit of a stir i'll even admit you know i i kind of perked up myself i want i don't want to say it was a pop but i did turn my head and, and paid more attention to when carmella was teasing the cash in to see if it was actually going to go down you realize carmella hasn't had a match on smackdown since october right since october and yet they're going to try to tell me that Carmella is going to be champion one of these days. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Well, I was talking because Jersey Mike was in attendance last night at SmackDown, in case you didn't know, because he didn't tell everybody 800 times. But he said that the place like went crazy for the Carmella cash. And he's like, people really wanted her to win that title, man. And I was like, did people really want Carmella to win the title from Charlotte or did people just want to see a title change? Because I don't think anybody gives a crap about Carmella right now. It's just, they just want to see a title change. People are going to pop for a title change. That's, 
all there is to it. Or am I reading that situation completely no, wrong? No, I, I think that's what it was. You know, it's it was just you know you get a you get a surprise title change and it's the excitement of money in the bank and a cash in. It's the moment. Yes, you want the moment. Not, you don't. You don't. It had nothing to do. I don't think it had anything to do with Carmella winning it or Charlotte losing it because I don't think the people are really over that invested in anything in the divisions right now. Anybody who tells me that you want Carmella as the SmackDown Women's Champion going into WrestleMania season, I think you're crazy. But that's yeah. just. I, I, I don't even think. I think Carmella should have stayed down NXT a little bit longer. I don't think they should have brought her up as soon as they did. She should have stayed down there. She should have gotten. She should have. I wanted to see Carmella become uh, NXT Women's Champion after um, after Bailey. Well, then anyway, we had Oscar. But I, I wanted. I didn't. I, I, I don't, I'm not too excited about Carmella being the the ladies' money in the bank. I'm not too excited about Carmella having this uh, money in the bank, and to me, it. it Sorry, guys. I want Carmella to hold the money in the bank all the way until money in the bank. I want, I want, I want Carmella to like, oh my God, there's never a good time to cash in. I never have a good time to cash in. Charlotte's never down long enough for me to cash in and like see the clock kind of ticking. You've got three weeks to cash it in. You got two weeks to cash it in and tell a story with the briefcase that hasn't been told before. I'd be down with that. So that's all I got for SmackDown. Rick, you got anything else that you wanted to comment on when it comes to SmackDown Live? I know just I don't think it was I don't know. I I don't want to call it terrible because you know it was up against some some very stiff competition in the state of the unions. I just think that you know they phoned it in on this one and uh, it'll be interesting to see what the numbers are for this week. Yeah, I'm very intrigued to see what the numbers are for this week for both Raw and SmackDown. I saw the raw viewership numbers and it looks like they were about a hundred thousand up. I expect SmackDown to be a very, very poor rating this week. Gooch, we'd like to join you or like to thank you for joining us. We'd like to join you. Well, it depends. What are you having for dinner? How are you doing? Thank you for joining <laughs> us on the, the segment one and the, the raw and SmackDown review. It's been fun. How do uh, people find you on social media or do you not even want them to find you on social media? <laughs> um, I, you know, when it, when it comes to social media, I'm pretty much Facebook. Uh, Twitter's done. Uh, Instagram, you can find me at Gooch of the World on Instagram. Uh, Facebook, Anthony Marinelli, or just type in Let's Get There and you'll find me. All right. That's going to do it for the... Uh, the WWE side of the show this week. We're going to go ahead, throw it over to a break. We're going to spin the new 30 Seconds from Mars song because I'm absolutely in love with it. And Rick doesn't know who 30 Seconds to Mars is, which is weird. So we'll be right back. We burn and we plan, we try to forget, but the memories left are still haunting. The walls that we built from bottles and pills, we swallow until we're not talking. I, I am a man of fire. You, a violent desire. What a dangerous night to fall in love Don't know why we still hide what we've become 
danger, the edge of knife The face of an angel, the heart of a ghost Was it a dream? I, I am a man of fire You, a violent desire that was 30 seconds to mars with their new single dangerous night rick are you a 30 seconds to mars fan oh you know it man every time they come through town I, you know me man i'm first in line camping out overnight to get them tickets yeah i'm I, you definitely look like a jared leto kind of guy you definitely uh, look like a jared leto kind of guy I, first time i've ever heard him <laughs> that's that's well, a, hey, man, that's a like, damn shame man hey Hey, you want you want to talk about you know getting hyped up or something? Man. How about that first segment, man? We had the Gooch in the house. The Gooch personality. Very special thanks to the Gooch for joining us. Always fun talking with the Gooch. Uh, but we, we we gave the Gooch all the bad shit. I mean, you know, when you bring somebody onto the show for the first time, you're not going to give them the bread and butter. So all those only WWE fans that shut it off at the musical break, the hell with them. We're going to talk some real professional wrestling in segment two we're gonna start off with the best friends we're gonna end it with the golden lovers i mean doesn't that just scream professional wrestling some great transition stuff there so let's start off with uh this week's roh i had a couple of big matches on this show actually uh the show kicks off with uh, the best friends versus the motor city machine guns when i first saw this pairing on tv i was like wait did we turn motor city heel again because we're, we're, we're still trying to figure out exactly what character the well, machine hey, guns I, are I playing say, you know, you know, It seems like each and every week you come out and you got something new with these guys that they're layering on. You don't know what direction they're going in. Well, I know what direction they went in this week. This week, they got the ever-loving shit kicked out of them. And it wasn't by the best friends of Trent and Chucky e. T. Um, the best friends, very, very subplot 
of this whole thing, uh, with the exception of watching your your tag team champions wrestle half of a comedy match because they're in there with the best friends. But the Briscoes come out and just lay waste to everybody here. So they take Shelly, they zip tie him to the one hand to the top rope, one hand to the second rope, which I thought was fantastic because there was absolutely no way that guy could cover up. It's clever in itself, but just pretty diabolical. Well, and it, that's Jay Briscoe for you. Then uh, the two Briscoes proceed to just beat the ever-loving hell out of Saban and give him a J-driller on the chair. Oh, why Alex Shelley is forced to sit there and watch it. Good old-fashioned pro wrestling angle, man. You, know, you just separate the two partners, you handcuff the one to the bottom rope, and you beat the shit out of the other one while he's forced to watch. You know, it would be a great visual to Briscoes. You know, maybe they could do this to the guns or any, any opponent, really. I mean, with, with those guys' backgrounds, you know, with their character, who they, I mean, not the character, who they are, I mean, I, like, I'm, you know, you get that visual of them stringing Shelly up on the ropes there, but knowing who they are, man, I, I want to see something like stringing up a deer, oh. like hanging them from their feet, and they're just like in the back, and like, I don't know, maybe like a meat locker or just in the back, but they're strung up by some chains hanging there, but dangling from their feet, and they're just be- beating on them. Man, if you were ever going to do that, the Machine Guns would be a really good team to do it to because those guys don't weigh a whole lot. That's the whole thing there. Right. Uh, um, then we get one of the more confusing things that Ring of Honor has been doing lately. I love these getting-to-know-your-talent vignettes. Um, and they normally run in that three to four minutes worth, which you can really get some good solid background on somebody kind of like they did with NXT and the Roderick strong vignettes. But this week they did one on punishment Martinez. I'm not sure anybody needs to know the deep, dark inner workings of punishment Martinez's mind. And after seeing this vignette, I'm absolutely convinced Nobody needs to see the deep, dark places of Punishment Martinez's mind. This guy's a little freaking off. And then I remembered Punishment Martinez's friends with Jersey Mike. It all makes sense. They, they, they spent some time together in, uh, in one of the Jersey Shore's many, many fabulous gentlemen's clubs. And I guess during a slow period where Martinez was there working, he, he, he took some time to, to converse with her with our own Jersey Mike. So yeah, man, there's uh, you got to go inside the mind of the creeper to really find out, you know, a connection between those two. But you know, if you're going back to, you know, just Martinez is just getting to know him. He's one of those guys. You really don't want to, it's one is that you have to kind of learn as the ride progresses. I'm, I'm going to have to talk to Jersey a bit more about his time with Punishment Martinez to see if Punishment Martinez is really as deep and dark and twisted as that character comes across because he very much comes across that way. Nah, I mean, you, you know, in real life, he's probably like a Carlton Banks or something like that. Oh, that would I would pay money to see Punishment Martinez do the Carlton dance. Uh, then we get uh, this is a kind of an interesting match. Uh, Shane Taylor versus Marty Skrull. Uh Rick. I know you're you're not a religious Ring of Honor watcher. How familiar are you with Shane Taylor? I'm gonna say, man, I, that was gonna be one of the you know the questions. The reason I love these segments we do we do here with our we're covering our Ring of Honor and our New Japan is you know you you're there every week. You have your finger on the pulse of those promotions. I love pro- approaching it our conversation on those promotions with 
you know, I represent those that, you know, maybe casually pick up the program, you know, stay up with the news, know what's going on. But, you know, we're not that faithful that are there each and every week like yourself. So I was going to ask you to, you know, fill us in. You know, what do we got going on here with one? Uh, was it Shane Taylor? Shane Taylor. Uh, Shane Taylor uh, could also be classified as big black man. Uh, Shane Taylor is a 315 pound big black man who basically just wears street clothes and beats people up for money. That's pretty much his gimmick at this point. Uh, Shane Taylor takes on Marty Skrull on this show. I'm going to repeat that. Shane Taylor takes on Marty Skrull. 315 pound Shane Taylor versus 195 pound Marty Skrull. You know, I was just... Because I, I didn't see the match. I saw some bits and pieces of the show. I didn't. I guess I skipped over this one. Uh, I just pulled. I just pulled a picture of him up. I, you pretty much nailed it. You know, right. Hit the nail right on the head with your description of him. I mean, he's pretty much. If you've ever gone out to, I, I don't know, you know, to any like big city nightclub, this is the guy working the door. Yeah, he's the bouncer at the front door. Absolutely. And then you're looking at him and you're like, I could take that guy. I could take that guy. Uh, no, no, you can't. No, no. no, you can't. <laughs> this is a big son of a bitch. He's a big dude. Uh, so this is this match is really the continuation of SoCal Uncensored versus the Hung Bucks. That's really what this is at its core. A couple of weeks ago, SoCal Uncensored paid off Mr. Shane Taylor to make sure no Bullet Club goons interfered in the match that was going on in the ring. So just like working that door at the club, he is their security. Yep, basically. He pummeled poor Marty backstage, and now Marty wanted a match with Shane Taylor. Rick, this match is exactly how a 195-pound man beats up a 315-pound man. Because, you know, I'm very interested to see how this plays out that you can fill us in with, because you know... You know, if this would come up as, you know, a conversation piece over in the Hami Media Discussion Group or, you know, with any of our colleagues over in the locker room on that side of, of our podcasting, uh, a couple of these guys would probably have some huge issues with this. No, I think once they see the match, they're going to be like, yep, I, I know, just that's you know, how just a 195-pound guy beats a 315-pound guy. He pulls out every dirty trick that Marty Skrull knows. If it's hitting him with an umbrella, if it's powder to the eyes, if it's a low blow, if it's, you know, punching the referee so he gets knocked down so he can cheat some more, whatever Marty had to do to cheat to beat Shane Taylor, that's what Marty did. And it was so fantastic. So you're saying that he he really channeled that inner villain. He he, And the funny thing is, watching a guy who's cheating left and right, whose nickname is literally the villain and the crowd is cheering for him the entire match. And I think that kind of is going to play a little bit into the theme of this next part of the show. Marty is as over as you can be as a babyface playing a heel. Cody's kind of the same way. Bullet club U S base is in a very very awkward position right now because they're playing heels but they're so over as baby faces and i wonder if that's where the conflict is kind of coming in here well no everything about bullet club you know they're so unconventional in how they approach the business 
how they market themselves, you know, just how they're just out there in general. I, yeah, it's, I wouldn't even say it, it's more of a tweener role because, yes, when it comes to challenging their competition inside the ring, yeah, you know, they're total dicks to everybody. But they also are very, very on, on the opposite end of the spectrum there when it comes to dealing with the audience. You know, they're constantly pandering to the fans. You know, they, they, they want their attention and their approval. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's kind like of that, that cool factor. Yeah, it's not, they're not that traditional heel where maybe you, know, you see from like a, like a Kaz and a Daniels that come out and say, yeah, you know what? Everyone in the back, we hate you. But everyone out here in the arena, we hate you too. And we want you, we want you all to hate us. Yep. You know, when you're talking about the Bullet Club, it's, yeah, you know what? We are better than everyone else in the back. We're the best in the world. We make the most money. People are here. You guys are here to see us. And we love that you want to come see us. So we're going to, we're going to entertain you, but we're going to kick everyone else's ass. Yeah. It's like people started cheering bullet club because bullet club were the bad guys. So they never actually turned babyface. They just kept being the bad guys getting more and more over. And now like the bad guys are the good guys It ring of honors in a very weird period. Uh, after the match, Marty calls out punishment. Martinez. He says, I want your naughty ass out here right now because you know, it's Marty freaking Skrull. Punishment Martinez comes out, but rather than coming out like a normal Ring of Honor superstar would, he comes in from out of the crowd behind Marty. Marty turns around. You get a nice little comedy spot there because Marty has quite the personality. And Marty proceeds to explain next week, Dalton Castle will be taking on Punishment Martinez for the Ring of Honor championship. Marty just assumes that Martinez is going to whip the hell out of Dalton Castle And he wants his shot at the Ring of Honor title. He doesn't actually call out the champion. He calls out the champion's challenger because that's how little he thinks of the champion. Yeah, I think that's really, you know, that is a great twist. You know, just not coming from Skrull, but, you know, how everyone is kind of, you know, how how they're pushing the perception of Castle to be. It's supposed to be this guy shouldn't be here. How, How did he manage to, you know, to steal this glory to become the Ring of Honor World Heavyweight Champion? You know, there's still that great doubt, and they want to hammer that home in their storytelling. And I, I think this is a tremendous way to do that. Punishment Martinez nods in approval and then proceeds to lay out Marty because he's the big bad devil worshiper guy. Because I guess he's the heel here. I, Punishment's just kind of a monster. The guy really doesn't have much personality. So the vignettes are cool because you get a little bit of personality out of Punishment. But then you get the personality out of punishment, and it's like, I don't want the personality out of punishment. You know what's, what's kind of – what's strange right now in Ring of Honor is, you know, with their big players, there's not many of them that have that defined role. I mean, they, they can yeah. kind of – it's gray areas for a bunch of them. Well, and then we get to the grayest of all areas. And I'm very intrigued to talk to you about this one because it looks like we're going to get a full-on – Cody versus Matt Taven feud now. This week, we actually get the match, Cody versus Matt Taven. Last week, of course, we had the uh, confrontation in the ring with Taven laying out Cody with the uh, low blow. So this week, we get the match. And I don't know what happened, but suddenly, Cody knows how to wrestle, dude. Like, I'm watching Cody... And I'm just like, this is the same Cody that I saw against Kota Ibushi. And then it clicked. 
something with Kota Ibushi just happened with Cody. Like, all of a sudden, Cody gets it. Like, I before his matches felt so disjointed and so character work heavy. And now, all of a sudden, he's having these awesome matches. This, this, goes, this goes back to, you know, the conversations that you've had you and i've had since we started the hitting the marks pro wrestling podcast you know from from the very first episode we've kind of debated back and forth on this he it's always been there with cody he just really didn't he didn't really need you know to pull out all those stops and really go over the top working outside of the wwe style he had the character work you know he was still over over like crazy he was building himself up there he didn't need it. And now maybe they're, you know, he's getting to that point where he will need to start transitioning a little more, get, you know, maybe a little more serious in his in-ring work. I wonder if Kota Ibushi isn't the key. We're going to talk quite a bit more about Ibushi when it comes to New Japan here in just a second. Um, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about Matt Taven here because to me, as I'm watching this match, I'm thinking, wow, Cody is really starting to realize his potential. And then I was watching the Matt Taven part of the match, and I thought, what a story of lost potential. Before Matt Taven screwed up his leg, doing a stupid-ass spot. Do you remember when Matt Taven hurt his leg? Do you know how that happened? Ah, because here you're going to have to refresh my memory. It was a acai moonsault, and he ended up hitting his leg on the goddamn barricade. And freaking snapped his goddamn leg. That was on pay-per-view maybe a year ago now. And now he wrestles in that damn brace. And it just feels like he didn't even lose one step. He lost about three. I used to think Matt Taven was a hot property. I, I liked Matt Taven more than Adam Cole at one point. And now it is just gone. Well, you, well then it just comes down to, you know, you don't need to be putting your ass out there like that because all it takes is one wrong move, one mistake, one injury like that to completely change you know, how you approach the game. Now he's going to have to find some ways to reinvent himself. He's going to have to you know, go that route where it's character work and, and change up his in-ring style. But you know, on the plus side, there is a lot of great potential still with just the raw ability in, you know, in this young talent. And with the adjustments he has to make, they just so happen to fit where you go get your biggest paychecks as well. That's true. That's true. But the thing is, he's still trying to wrestle that same style. He hasn't adapted his style at all. And you can tell he's about three steps slower than he was. So it just seems so disjointed. Uh, Cody ends up going over here with a receipt kick to the balls from last week. And then the kingdom lays the three-on-one beatdown on Cody after the match. Matt Taven takes the ring of honor from Cody, puts it on his own hand, forces Cody to kiss the ring, an unconscious Cody to kiss the ring. Matt Taven leaves with the ring of honor. So it looks like you're going to get a full on Cody versus Matt Taven feud here. At least that's what I'm expecting. The thing that I thought was so interesting here, we know the Bucks are in the building. Marty Skrull wrestled on this same show. No help for Cody here. With uh, the recent ongoings in Japan, I kind of wonder they knew when this was going to air, so nobody came out to make the save for Cody here. Could have been some plan, you know, some force, you know, 
they saw this coming. Let's plan ahead. Some, some great foreshadowing for even you know, what we can have coming down the road. I know we're really going to jump into it. And I've got a lot of questions for you. You know what this means for, you know, everyone top to bottom in the Bullet Club. But you're right. I mean, it is very interesting that no one would come to his aid. And, you know, for those out there that we we know what happened in Japan, the, you know, the, the heat between Cody and Omega, everyone involved there. And then on being the elite, so many questions left unanswered. Yep. We're about to dive full on into that. Uh, one other ROH note that I did want to make. Uh, and there was no place good to put it in the run. The Women of Honor Championship Tournament starts next week. I'm assuming a lot of those matches are going to be on ROH TV. Just the way that they presented the the backstage vignette for it. Uh, so let's jump into New Japan. The only thing that we're going to talk about when it comes to New Japan on this episode is being the elite. What happened with Kenny and Cody and where it goes from here. So if you haven't seen the latest episode, I believe it's episode 90. Yes, that is correct. Of being the elite. Pause this now. Go watch that. Come on back. We'll discuss. I can't believe that we're talking about a freaking YouTube TV show. About a bunch of guys who wrestle in Japan. We're not just talking about being the elite 90 because there's so much more here that you know that's playing into this you know you said you know if we've got we've got these happenings in ring of honor you know we've actually had it at the new beginning show right? there's so much more here but but you are correct the very base you know what we're going to build all this uh, i guess we're putting our conspiracy hats on correct a little bit a little bit um i've, I've got four possible scenarios here of where i think this is going to go and, and all this teaser stems from you're right. This YouTube show. Yeah. It's so it, it, what God bless 2018, you know? Um, so there's, there's four scenarios that I see here. Number one, Kenny is leaving the club to reunite with Kota Ibushi. Cody takes over the club. I think that's an obvious conclusion to draw out of what we saw with Kenny and Coda going to see the Bucks. This is, this is Kenny going in to resign his position as the leader of the Bullet Club. What do you think? Do, do you like the amicable kind of split with the Bucks to reunite the Golden Lovers? Is that Does that really do it for anybody? I mean, if the tag division in New Japan was better and we were going to put Kenny and Kota back together and they were going to go on a tear through the tag division, that'd be one thing, but... I just don't see it. Yeah, see, really, I at that at that last you know image of them walking into the room, and I think what would really get you there is you have to go all the way back to the open of the video. Yeah, when you have everybody minus Omega, you know they're all sitting in the room, just sitting around the table at the at, in the hotel, and, and they're eating dinner, and no one is saying anything to each other. And Cody's looking at everybody like, "What's wrong?" So we, we open up, you, you have these weird, you know, you, the, you had that weird vibe. You got some weird visual, like facials coming from Cody, uh, even going around the room, you know, Hangman, uh, one of the Bucks. I know they're not twins, but I always get the two confused. Matt and Nick. You know, the, I do, the one was sitting next to Hangman. Oh, that was Nick. Okay. So you got, you know, you could tell, you know, he's kind of, he, he keeps fidgeting with his hair. You can just tell he's kind of 
over, you know, drawing in his breath. You can tell he's frustrated. Hangman just looks like he's just trying to get some grub on. And Marty's just Marty. Yeah, well, you see, with, with those guys, you know, Marty always just has that Marty look, and Hangman always just looks pissed off. <laughs> like, he's just ready to snap and just kill anyone at any time. But, yeah, yeah, he's got a big old stake in front of him. He's fine, dude. He's taking he's taking that porterhouse to town. He doesn't, I don't think he gives a shit what's going on elsewhere. But they open up with this with this scene, and no one says anything, and it goes on for quite a while. Yeah, and it, it starts getting kind of awkward around that yeah, minute and a it, half, two minute mark. You're you're almost at the point like, man, should I fast forward, or am I really going to miss something? Here? Right, and then they but, just go to the opening intro. Well, it, they have that scene there, and then they go to the intro, but then they take you back in time, like two weeks, well, one week before, one or week. one week to a new beginning, or something like that. So. I, so I guess to go back to the end there, I, I guess to get, you know, let, let's just start at the beginning here because I, I loved the whole layout of this entire episode. I mean, you really got a vibe because it, this, the whole point of this thing was about frustrations, you know, hitting a boiling point. Did you take it as the, the, the deal with them constantly missing Kenny? All right, whether it's on the escalator or the elevator, or did you take that as Kenny trying to avoid the Bucks, or did you take that as they're doing a comedy spot here? Also, that when they finally do get together, Kenny can be like, "Hey, did you know that our flight's canceled?" See, I took it as a, I took it more. I wasn't looking at the comedy thing or anything. I took it as a much deeper meeting, and I, I want to give them, and I hope I'm right here because this is some freaking awesome storytelling if this is where they were going with this thing they're definitely hitting the mark if this is what they have in mind i took it more of his you know they're they're all trying to move forward we all know about all in but for some reason you know it just seems that that kenny in his own mind is somewhere else you know maybe his focus his focus and where he thinks he needs to be just isn't maybe falling in line with the rest of the group's, you know, plans right now. Because you saw that throughout this entire episode, you know, even when they were talking about, you know, we, hey, we didn't even plan out any of our spots or anything. I don't like how they actually mentioned that, but you know, they brought that up. And you know, and he's in, he's in the uh, the the restroom of the locker room there, and he's got his head over that sink, and you could, and that's one of those moments, you know, where. You're, you're deep in thought. You, you know, it's one of those places where you want that mirror so you can maybe look into your own soul. You got some water you can splash on your face. That's what I was taking from it. That he, I like, he has it, a, I like a that they pointed inside. out that it was the women's restroom. <laughs> I did catch that. That was good. I mean, just the little subtleties that they throw in there. Like, and of course, nobody's looking for Kenny in the women's locker room. That's right. how he's getting his peace and quiet. He's in the women's. And there's no women on the fucking show, is there? No. Well, except Bunny. <laughs> and if you <laughs> happen to run into her in the bathroom, golly yeah. gee darn, right? Uh, then you might have some more Bullet Club issues. But. Oh, no. well, I, I'm pretty sure Kenny could take uh, <laughs> Takahashi. But, you know, even like even the story they're telling for the travel, you know, they really stress, you know, how they usually do it. And this is so different. And you could see the stress building, you know, on everybody's shoulders. And, and there is nothing worse than, you know, when you're, you're stuck in these situations like this or, or really when you're just with someone, anyone, like the, the person you love the most in the world, you know, your family, your friends, whatever. When you're in an irritating spot and you're there for a long time together, you, ju- you, you, you naturally just turn on one another. 
Well, and I, that brings us to scenario number two. Cody ends up leaving the Bullet Club. He comes back stateside, focuses on ROH and regaining the ROH title. And Ibushi is welcomed into Bullet Club. Now, see, that's at the end of the episode when they walked in together, you know, where you suggested maybe he went in there to, you know, essentially resign, resign, hand it, give us two weeks notice or however you want to put it there. I took it as he went in there because there was some talk, you know, of, you know, leaders and, and who's number two and whatnot in the show. Maybe he went in and said, you know what? I am the leader of this thing, but I'm going to, I, I want to get us back on the right track. I want to rely on someone, you know, from my past that I fully trust. Yeah, I trust Ibushi. I don't trust Cody. Right. Um, I think option number three, and I think this is an interesting option, although I don't think that it's necessarily going to happen. They end up kicking them both out of the club. The OGs take over. The Tongans, Bad Luck Fale, or maybe somebody new is named as the leader. I think that's an absolute possibility. I don't know what the status of Neville is, but if like Neville just happened to appear, I could see Neville taking over the Bullet Club. Well, let's let's go back to the idea of of either leaving. You know, I, I think if if you're going to keep one and one leaves, from a business perspective, I th- I think the individual who can move forward without like seeing you know, much of a holdback from where they've been, you know, speak, you know, just from a business standpoint, Kenny could branch off on his own, I think, and see decent amount of success. I don't see that for Cody at this point. I think he really needs that bullet club brand to really, you know, maximize, you know, his worth in this business. Well, and then that brings me to the fourth option. And I'm thinking that this is the most likely of options. Absolutely nothing happens. Bullet Club is fine. And we could very well get that. You know, it could be, hey, you know what? We, Hey, brothers fight. Oh, no. I'm going way deeper than that. Rick, I'm going to give you a little bit of a history lesson here. In 2005, I don't know if many people know this, Kenny Omega was signed with WWE. Did you know that? Yeah. Uh, I didn't know that. In 2005, he went to Deep South. In 2006, he left Deep South Wrestling. And as the story is told, a friend of his showed him a tape of a Japanese promotion called Dramatic Dream Team, otherwise known as DDT, and a wrestler by the name of Kota Ibushi. Omega then makes a video of himself wrestling a DDT-style match, AKA a match nowhere near a wrestling ring. Well, and I, I, I was going to say, you know, they've had some crazy matches. Probably the most recent DDT thing I've watched on YouTube was it was like an all out brawl through a campground. Like every campsite was available. Like they're fighting like in the creeks. They're, they're yeah. fighting in the restrooms. DDT, you know. for those that don't know, I what, how, what would you even compare it to? Like a Chikara? I always made the comparison, you know, a lot of people that think that Lucha Underground is so innovative and, and they're pushing, you know, a new direction of professional wrestling. That is a good comparison. I always comparison. kind of made those two comparisons, you know, because I always tell people, like, it's not – it, it is a great program. Yes, you should enjoy Lucha Underground, but don't give them so much praise because there's a promotion on the other side of the world 
called DDT that is doing this. Right. And they've been doing it for years. Yes. Uh, after seeing the videos, Omega is then offered a tour of Japan in 2008 to wrestle Kota Ibushi. That's where the Ibushi and Omega story starts. So you're going back now at this point, a decade, there's a decade worth of history here. Um, the golden lovers, which was Omega and Ibushi for those that don't know, was uh, part of an actual faction called the golden rendezvous originally. Um, I, in doing some research for this segment, I found out <clears throat> their tag team finisher was called the golden shower. Awesome. Wonderful. Dude, you got to see this move. It is a dual Phoenix splash from the top rope. So like they've got the guy laying down, you know, that crazy freaking flippity flippity move that Rollins busts out every once in a while. Right. Both of them do that at the same time onto the same guy. That's the golden shower. It is freaking crazy. There's absolutely no fucking chance in hell. I would let anybody do that to me. No way. Uh, so that was put together in 2009 with dramatic dream team, uh, over there. When you wrestle with DDT, you are allowed to wrestle with other promotions. They became two time champions there. They debuted in new Japan in 2010. So there's actually about eight years of history here when it comes strictly to new Japan, um, Tokyo sports of the year match of the year, October 11th, 2010, they took on a team named Apollo 55. Prince Devitt, Ryusuke Taguchi. Uh, that was the match of the year in 2010. I went back and watched this match last night because I'd never seen it. Freaking fantastic. They had quite the rivalry over there. So you're already beginning. You have. Oh, like, like, like I would like the match? No, you would fucking hate it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, it, it's, okay. it's, it's a junior tag team match. Okay. So it's, you know, it's, 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 it's that, like. That time. This was the Young Bucks and Rapungi 3K of 2010. You know, okay. that's that's kind of where it was. But you, but I did enjoy that match. But you're already getting the development of Prince Devitt, Kenny Omega, Kota Ibushi, and there's quite the rivalry between these teams. They they go on to face each other many many times throughout 2010, 2011. Um, on October, October 3rd, 2014, Omega announced he's leaving DDT, signing full-time with New Japan, where Ibushi's already wrestling regularly. Ibushi signs a one-year contract extension with New Japan and officially becomes a heavyweight. That effectively broke up the Golden Lovers because Omega comes in as a junior heavyweight. Ibushi transitions from junior to heavyweight. There's not a whole lot of intermingling between those two. So it was kind of, it was a really open-ended split. You know, there really wasn't any closure to it. Right. It wasn't, oh my God, I hate you. Oh my God, I hate you. Right. You know, they, they never had any conclusion to that story. Um, on October 26, 2014, the Golden Lovers final tag match take, takes place. That's Omega's final DDT match. About a week and a half later, November 8th, 2014, Kenny Omega joins the Bullet Club. That's that's how quick it happened. Going from the Golden Lovers into Bullet Club. Now, obviously, when Omega joined Bullet Club, he wasn't the Kenny Omega that we know now. He was still considered technically a junior. 
Um, about a year later, November 2nd, 2015, Ibushi is sidelined due to a cervical disc herniation in his neck. That's what started this whole, so Ibushi's out. February 6th of 2016, Ibushi resigns from New Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, February 21st, Ibushi then announces that he's been cleared to wrestle. That's why so many people over in Japan hate on Ibushi. Because it was viewed that he was faking an injury to get out of his New Japan contract. And then he becomes a freelancer. And he starts working all over the freaking world. June 13th, 2016, Ibushi is announced for the Cruiserweight Classic. I realize that's a lot of dates and a lot of information. But this is where Ibushi basically leaves Omega. That's, that's the real story here. Omega joins the bad guys. And Ibushi just leaves him. There's never any conclusion to the tag team. He's just up and gone. And he's chasing fame all over the world. October 10th, Ibushi returns to New Japan. But they put him underneath of a hood. And they turn him into Tiger Mask W. Because New Japan as a company is pissed off that Ibushi resigned to begin with. It wasn't until June of 2016 when Ibushi was announced for the G1 that Ibushi finally actually returned to New Japan. That's when you started getting the talks of Omega versus Ibushi. I think Bullet Club is fine. I think this is Kenny getting in Ibushi's head until he can turn around and stab Ibushi in the back. We've been hearing a lot of talk about how Bullet Club needs to get serious again. They need to refocus, not be this comedy act over in Japan. I think this is where Bullet Club gets serious again. We had the whole setup with the Cody versus Ibushi. Now we're getting Ibushi kind of brought in, and then Kenny's going to turn on him. You're saying, I, I love that scenario, man. I think that's a tremendous build. You have all that great background there with Ibushi, and you were saying there is some negativity towards him on you know behalf obviously maybe some with the promotion or you know maybe that's you know that that's water under the bridge now but but from even the audience there's some resentment there correct yep very much so and because so and, how, it's, and so it's just a difference in culture you know because you know loyalty and respect it means so much right. to the japanese people and they felt so, like a bushy shit on them so in in your scenario i mean if this whole thing is this just diabolical masterminded plot to to essentially stab to destroy Ibushi. Yeah, to destroy Ibushi by stabbing him in the back. How would this be received by that audience? I mean would would this would the Bullet Club be praised for you know for taking him out? Or would the way they've gone about this would their underhanded tactics, you know, or does everyone get heat on him here? I mean, how would this be perceived? Well, here's the thing. I think if they're going to do Omega versus Ibushi, that's like Tokyo Dome stuff. You very well might see this thing play out for a whole freaking year. Because I guess the original plan was to do Omega and Ibushi in the Tokyo Dome this year before the whole Jericho thing happened. And Omega didn't want to do it because he didn't feel there was time to properly build the story in three months. So I'm wondering okay. if this is the story that they want to tell 
And it could go a million different ways, man. You could end up with a very baby face bullet club, or you could end up with this being the most diabolical mastermind criminal genius that Kenny has ever pulled off. And I I think too, as you were saying, this could be a year long build where we see uh, Omega and Ibushi back together, you know, for a while where it seems like, yes, the the brotherhood is reunited. They, They are standing side by side. Only to have the turn happen and then trigger this this great program for the dome next year, and it, you know immediately just in my mind, you know, I'm thinking I don't know if, if New Japan would get on with something like this, but hell, I mean, why the hell not? I mean, because it's you're going to have so many different eyes and different audiences looking at this. I mean, you could trigger this thing at all in. See, I just my my only issue there is I just don't know if the American audience is going to get behind Kenny Omega versus Kota Ibushi as a main event on that show. No, I, I don't I don't think you put that on that show. I'd, I'd have the true colors shown there. And then you build towards the dome. Oh, that could be the turn. Yeah, that's your turn. So you would do like Golden Lovers versus Cody and Hangman? I mean, or you, I mean, you could twist this to where they're against the Bucks or something. I mean, yeah, just I guess you could. For the, the fan base that really enjoys that style, you know, the people that are going to be really supporting this show, they would freaking, they would eat that up. You know, that would be a, like a match of the year for them. Yeah. And then you have that turn and then you have everybody come out. And at the end, you've got. You know, your bullet club standing standing tall together once again, laughing that this was just a, this big. It was all a ruse to destroy Ibushi. Yes. I think of all the scenarios, that's the one I like the most. And it, and it really and it comes full circle where you think that they've all turned on each other. You know, that there is, there is now hate between them. But at the end of the night, they stand all in once again. I like it. I like it. Now, let me. I do want to do a little, a little twist on this, just real quick. You don't have to dive into it too much. You know, if there is a split, if there isn't, what does this mean for all the other members of Bullet Club? You know, I'm talking about those that, uh, you know, the you, you got the uh, the like to- like the Tokyo Pimp. I'm trying to think of their names. Yeah, all those guys, man. The brothers, Chase Owens, uh, you know, Gorillas of Destiny. Yes. Um, Bad Luck Fale. Um. I don't know, man. I really don't know. Uh, it seems like if there is a split, okay, if they do a split, it seems very much like Hangman is with Cody. The Bucks are kind of up in the air. And then you have the OGs, you know, which is like Bad Luck Fale, the Gorillas of Destiny, Yujiro Takahashi. Chase Owens is kind of, I mean, he could get thrown out of the club tomorrow, and I don't think anybody would even notice. I don't, you know, as we sit here and talk about it, I don't even think anyone realizes he's still a member of it. <laughs> well, the only the only reason that they do is because they like to throw Chase Owens in those big like six person tag matches just to take the pin. Right, he's like the hey, bullet club uh, jobber. And, and I'm not saying anything bad here, you know, against against Chase because no, I like Chase hey, a lot. Hey, I, I tell you what, I really enjoy stuff because he works in this region that I'm in quite a bit. He's over in Cleveland at AIW, you know, quite a bit, and I think he he does like the Cleveland Night Show and some other things in this area. And hey, man, props to him. You slapped that Bullet Club logo on there. You know, he's getting a payday and is bringing more attention to any show that, you know, that wants to bring him in. 
Yeah. And, and I like him as a talent. It's just that's kind of his role over in New Japan. He's kind of like the young boy of of the Bullet Club. He's the guy right. who just ends up taking the pins. Um, it's so hard to say how you would do a Bullet Club split at this point when you have half of the talent really does a lot more Ring of Honor stuff. And then you have half the talent that never really leaves Japan. You know, I mean, you could do that Bullet Club or Rising and then the OG Bullet Club and nobody would even be any of the wiser. They wouldn't even necessarily cross paths at any given moment in time. Personally, I was kind of hoping during the G1 when they were building up to that Tama Tonga and Kenny Omega match that Tama Tonga would kind of take over. And then he had a really good first half of the G1 and then the second half of the G1, he just completely fell off. Like they just completely checked out on him. I, I was going to say, you know, he had all that great build in the early part of the tournament and then even you know, through the episodes of of being the elite, man, you, there was some real and, and intriguing build there and tension mounting. And it just seemed, it's just like, all right, we're just dropping it and going a different direction. Yeah. And I like that guy a lot. I like him as a talent. I would love to see Tomatonga get a, a well, singles you, push, but could you see all those guys just say, you know what, man, we're, we're tired of this bullet club shit and just start something else. Yeah. But man, that's them giving up a lot of merch money. You know, that's what I'm saying. It's when you really, you really got to focus more in on, you know, just outside the storytelling and what is you know presented through just the on-air product or at events or in-ring product. That Bullet Club huge, brand. There is a huge business side to this that that is more important than you know than anything that we're seeing from a wrestling standpoint. And I think that's why I like the uh, everybody turns on a bushy idea because it keeps the club together and everybody can be like, oh my god, that was fantastic. Look at the story that they just gave us. But it keeps everyone still together. Doesn't affect merch numbers. Doesn't affect the hot topic deal. Because, man, that's a lot of money to be leaving on the table to split up the Bullet Club right now. Rick, is there anything else that you wanted to comment on when it comes to the world of professional wrestling this past week? Yeah, it was just a long week. I am glad, you know, I... I tried to zone out a little bit. It retained a whole, a whole lot, especially on first watch. I had to go back. So I think I'm just going to take a day or two and just kind of relax, turn my brain off of professional wrestling for a bit, and then get re-geared back up for uh, this road to WrestleMania. And, and more so to keep an eye on what we've got going on here with the Bullet Club. You know, to me, and the possibility of this actually running out the entire year, all the avenues, that the you know, different avenues that they could go at this thing. Man, this is the intriguing story in the world of professional wrestling to me. It's a great time to be a wrestling fan in 2018, regardless of what fan you're a company of. So that's going to wrap things up for this week. Rick and I will be back this weekend with a news show of some sorts, assuming that there's news worth talking about breaking over the next couple of days. Otherwise, you'll be able to find us over in the locker room at hackerhameen.podbean.com this coming Monday with your weekly Curtain Jerker edition. As always, please visit our friends over at thegorillaposition.com for your daily pro wrestling needs as they tell the stories of pro wrestling storytellers. As always, you can find the show on Twitter at HTMPWPod. Find us on Facebook at Hitting the Marks. Shoot us an email at hittingthemarks at gmail.com you can find me across all social media platforms at not jargo rick how does jersey mike find you so he can wait out in the freezing cold in the snow for a picture as always uh i am over on twitter at the real rbv also uh find me on facebook hey just come join us in the hameen media discussion group 
and said, yeah, you know, we are just coming off of a big Royal Rumble weekend, but hey, we're getting ready. We're gearing up for the road to WrestleMania. Tons of great conversation with some very, very smart professional wrestling fans. Uh, I, I do, I want to go back to something real quick as a reference. Uh, I was, I'm going to say maybe this is about a decade ago, even what, you know, a decade ago when these guys were getting going, I was down in Louisville partying for a weekend and we, we ordered a, a couple, a couple of, uh, female companions, let's say. Uh, and they had a, a card. It was almost like a menu, like an a la carte menu. Uh, and also offered on there was a golden shower for $10. The catch was that they would go in the bathroom with you, you'd get into the shower, and they would pee in the cup and then pour it on you. I, I did not partake. The fact that you know all of the details of how this works makes me wonder if you did or did not partake. We'll resume that conversation next week. For now, we're off like a prom dress. See ya! me. I don't give up. I'm your bad guy. Stop, stop, go! Why